Welcome to the White Shield Podcast, the poor man's Warhammer 40,000 podcast. Uh, my name is Matt, and I recently managed to trick my co-worker and friend Dion into stepping into the bottomless money pit that is Warhammer 40,000, the tabletop war game. So I'm hoping to take him on a journey through all the grimdark and Byzantine nonsense that makes up this hobby, as I hope to show him all the wonderful and awful things it is I love about Warhammer. So open your paint pot, sit back, and get to work on that big pile of grey plastic I know you have sitting in front of you as we take him on this journey together. Welcome to the White Shield Podcast. This is our first official episode. Um, we're actually going to be talking about lore today, not just rambling. Uh, what do you think our first episode is going to be, Dion? What do you think is a good first episode subject? Well, I, I was Did say, you look at my screen? Did you see my screen? I, I think I've seen a Damn bit it. of your screen, so I think I know what it's going to be, but I'm just saying, I don't know. No, what do you think it's going to be? I think it's going to be the Ultramarines. It's going to be the Ultramarines. Uh, why do you think we're starting with Ultramarines? Because I play Ultramarines, they're my new player. There we go. That's yeah. part of why, yeah. yeah. Um, for and people, they're the boy. They, that's exactly why. You're a new player, yeah. Ultramarines are your guys, you have the codex right there. Uh, but more importantly, they are the poster boy of 40k. Like, if you know nothing about Warhammer, if you've never played a game in your life and you make a career out of beating up nerds, you still have at least seen a picture of an Ultramarine. You know... They're blue. What the, They're the blue guys. They're big blue men in blue power armor, and yep. they have swords and big Omega symbols all over them. Everybody, whether they know it or not, can identify what an Ultramarine is. Um... What uh, I want to do a little segment here. We're gonna call it Dion Explains. I guess I should go co-hosts or who the hosts are. My name is Matt. I'm gonna be leading us through this adventure today. Uh, my co-host here is Dion. Dion yep. is a new player, aren't you? Ah, uh, yes, I am. Not even a year in. Not even a year in. Couple months, maybe. When yeah. do we start playing together? October. Uh, yeah, something about October. Yeah, October-ish. Actual playing, maybe October. Or talk about it. Talking for fucking for, who, for, who for knows a lot, long, for a long yeah. time. But actual me getting an army. I think it was October. Yeah. Like the first combat patrol box. Yeah. First army is everyone's was Ultramarines, which, you know what? We joke about it, but the Ultramarines are getting kind of cooler. Um, I mean, I learned a little bit when I did the research on this, and they were kind of neat. But yeah, so first segment here I want to kind of do is called Dion Explains. So explain. Oh, we'll give you a couple minutes. What are the Ultramarines? Who are the Ultramarines? Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> it's all on you. <laughs> it's all on me. Oh, God. Uh, stress is on. Uh, well, what are they? Think uh, like everyone seen the like the poster boys. Everyone will be thinking, "Hey, they're Space Marines." When I, when I'm trying to get my buddy in, like this, like I talk about the Ultramarines, whatever. They, they always refer them as the Space Marines. Not yeah. the, they don't know they're Ultramarines. Yeah, no, nobody they, knows. They are Ultramarines, but they're just the Space Marines. The Space Marines are blue. If you think Space Marine, you're thinking the picture in your mind is it's an Ultramarine. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Blue so guy. Like, uh, Unless you're a in. filthy heretic. Yeah, so uh, I'm talking, no, there's different chapters. You got the Raven Guard, you got the Blood Angels, whatever. So I'm trying to. So he's getting into it knowing that there's like more than the Blue Ultramarine. Yeah. Like the Space Marines are all the chapters. All the chapters of Space Marines. But, uh, what are the Ultramarines? Well, I know their Primarch is Reboot that was uh, like not dead in a stasis and then just out of nowhere like resurrected and just chopped the head off and it's for the first time. Chopped his head off? What? No, chopped people's head off. Like, oh, yeah, he goes around like, cutting, yeah. Yeah, it was like, went on Rampage. I think it was the first time he actually did not follow the codex and just, like, went on and... Oh, you're talking about the crusade, like, when he went on, like, or immediately after waking up? I 
I don't re I don't recall. At some point, it was in a battle, and then just went nuts, and it started murdering everyone. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah actually, I, yeah, I don't I remember I know, the events. I know what but, you're talking about. Yep. But uh, and yeah, so you I mentioned you mentioned the codex. What is the codex? What's the codex of Stardays? Uh, well, that's the rules, the set of rules that they have to abide and that they follow. There's the uh, the everything there, their their battle, their battles when they fight, everything they have to follow their set set of rules. And the Ultramarines, from what I've heard, they're the ones who are they are like uh, very uh, rigid, rigid on the codex. Are they? They're following what it's written. But from what I read recently is they're starting getting less like rigid and following to the 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 codex they're they're being more uh not versatile but like they're trying to yeah adaptable adaptable yeah then. i'm glad you bring that up because we're going to talk a little bit about the codex of stardays because that is something a lot of people always talk about is the, they are the, follow to the t they're the codex. Yeah. but as for now not the new with the uh, resur not the resurrection, but the re well, I don't know the the reboot is back. Yeah, it's like they're more like adaptable now. They don't necessarily go as yeah, like making as... like following the codex, even if they're going to lose or die. Like they're well, especially I, I didn't really get too much into this when I was doing the research, but especially with the induction of the Primaris Marines and them all crossing the uh, what the hell do they call it the uh, Rubicon Primaris, which is uh, them becoming Primaris Marines. Especially yeah. with the induction of the Primaris Marines, they've they've definitely shifted away a little bit from the Codex of Stardays because of how the Primaris Marines function. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, that's that's a good kind of quick summary there. Um, and now they're a team on National Rome. That's what got me into it first. They like are. Logistician and they're like more of a like regimental. Like they're, they're like one, two, three, four squadrons. Very like distinct and it's very organized. They are. They are very organized. They are very distinctive in their style too. They, they are very vanilla. Uh, obviously they're on the cover of every just generic codex, but, yeah. uh, they, they do have a very distinct style, like their, their swords and stuff. I'll get into mm -hmm. that a bit later. Um, but we'll start with their history, I guess. Uh, what do you know of the Space Marine Legions? Um, you don't know, know no, anything about no, Legions? Nope. Are, are legions. you, do you know the difference between a chapter and a Legion is? Probably not. No. Okay. So no, no, no. we're going to go all the way back to the beginning. <laughs> like we're talking 10,000 years more than prior yeah. to the current setting in 40k um basically like late 30th millennium probably like 29,000s yeah. uh the emperor the god emperor yeah, of mankind yeah. is waging a war across terra earth yeah. um trying to unite the various warring tribes and techno yeah, yeah. barbarians and stuff he initially created a group of warriors called the Thunder Warriors to do this. Uh, oh, they right. were the first kind of precursor to the Space Marines. They were massive. They were much bigger and stronger than Space Marines, but they were also, like, stupid. Like, not I shouldn't say stupid, but they, they were not nearly as intelligent yeah. or as charismatic as the Marines. What came after the Marines, though, or after the Thunder Warriors, were the, the Space, Space Marines, Marines. Yeah, the Adeptus Astartes. I've read about the Thunder Armor. Uh, the Thunder, Thunder Warriors? The yeah. Thunder Warriors, yeah. So, the Adeptus Astartes, as you know, there's the the, the 20 Primarchs, right? The yeah. Primarchs are the guys that they were cloned from. 
or not cloned from, but the, the genetic the material genetic, comes yeah. from. And we'll, we'll do a proper episode on who the Primarchs are and what they are and how they were created. But of those 20 Primarchs, each Primarch was given a legion. Mm-hmm. The 13th, I think it is, the 13th legion. Yeah, the 13th legion was the Ultramarine legion. At the time, though, they were called the Warborn. Oh. So they were the Warborn Legion. Now you got to keep in mind that this is back before the Great Crusade, and this is before uh, Gilliman was in the picture. Because Ra- Raboot Gilliman was like in a gestation pod, and like a black hole opened up where he was being born, and yeah. off he goes. So basically, the Emperor was like, "Well, fuck, we still got to have our warriors." So even without Big Bobby G in the picture, he uh, he. St- still created the legion from gilliman's gene seed was the warborn the 13th legion uh uniquely though they were kind of pulled from all tribes and cultures like a lot of the legions space marine legions were pulled from kind of one place on old earth yeah a good example are the night lords they're basically like terrorist batmen in space okay they're they're horrifying. They're 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 a chaos faction. They're okay. uh, all about like ripping your skin off and hanging it from from telephone poles and nailing and, your corpse to the wall while you're still. And alive. originally they're from the. They're from Transylvania, Eastern Europe. Like they're no, they're, I mean they're originally from like they were uh, chapters. So no, the Night Lords were a legion. So that no wonder they went to chaos. Well, yeah, yeah. they all they they were even as good guys. The night lords were bad guys, and they they were like kind of the emperor's like, if he needed to like really fuck someone up, in go the night lords, and (laughs) where other arm where other legions like the ultramarines would win through strength or diplomacy the night lords would win by just terrorizing the population like they just oh, okay. show up and start crucifying people while they're alive and ah. people would be like well i don't want to fight these guys and they'd be like too bad you're Dude. fighting us and they just keep killing like they wouldn't stop they were <laughs> it's really no wonder they fell to chaos like yeah. the emperor should have been more on top of that one but anywho <laughs> just as an example they i believe are largely pulled from eastern europe okay like their leader's name is conrad kurz he's a big fucking vampire dude he's probably oh, okay. yeah, genetically yeah. transylvanian or something but uh everything come from that yeah they're all like eastern europe transylvania type area the ultramarines were unique in that they were largely pulled from kind of wherever like they didn't have a single cohesive place of recruitment um as a result that probably helped form their their kind of chapter or their, their legion uh traits um even as the Warborn, they were known to be very disciplined. Something people don't realize, I think, is that the Space Marine legions back then, like the legions were much larger than chapters. They're talking like tens of thousands. I think some numbered hundreds of thousands of Marines against the thousand you're allowed to have as a chapter. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they were brutal. Like the legions were savage. Space Marines are not meant to be sensible good guys like they are meant to be killing machines and the legions were killing machines like they were fucking brutally effective at combat even while still being a very brutal and efficient force the warborn were known to be disciplined like they were Mm. far more disciplined than most other legions they were very very regimented um they in combat preferred to have predetermined set objectives that they could sequentially take to complete an overall campaign goal uh, to have a game plan exactly like a battle plan where other legions focused largely on what's the 
grand scheme what what do we like we want to take this whole planet why the warborn were more about we're gonna take this Did town you... and that town will lead to the factory and the factory will lead to yeah, the, yeah right so that's what they're they they looked at individual battles where other forces were just fucking throw people at a job get it done we need the planet send people yeah and and teach their own it works yeah. sometimes yeah um their combat doctrine was largely defined by its adaptability. Uh, a good example is they would learn from their past experiences, not just their own, but from they would study others too. Mm-hmm. They they would learn from won and lost battles that either they fought or that their allies fought or that they're even that they fought against their enemies. They would find like what happened in this battle. Why did this part win and why did yeah. this part lose? how did it happen they would learn from these past experiences they would apply the knowledge they have to the current situation they're in they would imitate what tactics they knew that worked work. in that situation and then they would use that to adapt to the situation at hand um, uh, it's funny that you said that because when i was reading about the raven guard uh you know that uh, robot gilliman and uh corvus corax corvus corax did uh like uh this they did three battles but only on papers like the they did three battles on paper chorus correct only won the first one and never won the other two because the reboot because oh, he figured out his that's he, really he, cool he figured out where'd you, uh, where'd you read that just online uh, just online was, I, was I, when i was reading about raven guard because we were sending uh oh, you should go with uh less uh, popular chapters uh, and then that's when i read like reboot and chorus correct did three simulated battles and the the Corvus Correct won the first one and never won the other two because he he figured it out and then they got fucked. I keep saying I'm just gonna be super off here, but I, like an aside, I keep saying you gotta go with less played forces. You're going with the the Raven Guard and they're cool, but they're still just vanilla marines yeah you should do alpha legion like you no, like I... the sneaky deaky of Raven Guard do no, alpha yeah. legion no but it's they're very... the coolest loyalist faction. True. True. But uh, I'm gonna, if people night, actually but, uh, do end up listening, they're gonna get mad at me for saying that. But, but uh, <laughs> as time goes by, we'll probably do an episode on that. But uh, like I told you uh, earlier this morning, I was oh, we yeah. absolutely will be doing an episode on the Alpha League. We may even that, currently be doing no, it. You wouldn't know. I was uh, like just talking about Adeptus Mechanicus. Like I, oh. like I was starting looking to them. Like oh, this seems nice. Now I'm gonna start. Yeah, we gotta we gotta really. So it's gonna be another. Uh, I don't know the time, but like just. You keep mentioning things and it keeps like, never I, I gotta hold never, back. I gotta hold back and be like, oh, let's not talk about that. We're on Ultramarines today. The one I really don't want to talk about. Yeah. Uh, it never ends. It never ends. So yeah. So, so that was just my, my, my BD dits about that. They, that is actually. They learned from past experiences that, yeah. Like, that's actually really cool. Like I, I didn't, I know nothing about Korax, but that's actually really cool. Cause I, I literally just researched some of this stuff last night. So it was interesting that you said that. Cause I, I didn't realize that at all. Um, I like the idea of the of, of fucking Gilliman and Korax, these two like ten foot tall, muscle bound, power armor dudes, effectively playing like Dungeons and Dragons together, <laughs> just fucking rolling dice, being like, oh, "I'm gonna win here." <laughs> like imagine them playing fucking their models. And they're, the yeah, they're using 40k models to play out <laughs> battles against each other. Uh, anyway, we're gonna go into their character a little bit here. Yeah. Uh, as you mentioned, they're based off the Roman Empire. Um, I I think. I feel like that's a bit of a mis a, uh, misconception a little bit. Uh, they are obviously based largely off of them. If you look back at uh, the Legion history, like back in the 30K era, um, 
there were ranks like centurions and yeah. uh legate and uh, and well, just, uh, i think they had praetorians as well like there were obviously romans yeah yeah um gilliman is obviously caesar yeah uh, obviously well i don't know if you've seen the well, you got the uh He's got the laurel, but the laurel, uh, I, yeah. I don't know if you've seen. I keep mentioning his his thirty k era model to you, and like the forty k model, I think looks kind of goofy, but it's basically just a big blonde dude in power armor. Yeah. But the thirty k model, he looks like Caesar, like he's in he's in regular sized power armor, but he's standing on like an, a marble, like uh, it's like steps with like oh, a yeah. pillar, and it, it's got like some sort of memorial behind him, and he's got like. You know those uh, standards that you always see, like, Roman legions yeah, carrying? Yeah. He's got, like, those up behind him. Huh. Like, it looks very, very stoic, and it, it looks like something out of any, like, Roman epic movie about Rome. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, Even his pose. Like, he looks like a Roman general. That's his whole gimmick. Yeah. But the reason I say it's a bit of a misconception is because I, I think aesthetically they're Greek. The they are Roman in terms of their doctrine. They're yeah, Roman how in they operate, how uh, they operate, how regimented they are. Yeah. Uh, they're very, very, very uh, diplomatic as well, which is rare for Space Marine to be, considering they're like eight foot tall giants that spit acid and have two <laughs> hearts and bones made of metal. Yeah. Like they're still diplomats. Um, but aesthetically, if you look at their swords, like they're carrying gladiuses. Yeah. Uh, the ultramarine symbol is the omega, yeah. which is I think that's Greek, is it not, or is oh. that Latin? I Could don't be know. both. Yeah, Could it's be the same both. language. They're dead languages. Um, <laughs> the well, Greek isn't, but Roman Latin is. Um, but I, th- I think aesthetically they're very, very Greek. And uh, looking into it more, they are actually largely based off Sparta. Ah. They are a warrior culture, obviously. I mean, all space From... marines have to be. Yeah. Obviously, but yeah. what were you get from what? No, 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 no. Oh. Yeah, so they're uh, obviously very Greco-Roman. They're mm-hmm. Greco-Roman, but I mean that's easy to mix those two concepts together because they they were often very mixed. Um, interestingly, they they are kind of unique in comparison to other Space Marines in that uh, so some Space Marine chapters are what you call fleet based, which is they have no home world. Yeah, uh, the Dark Angels they're fleet based. The Black Templar fleet based. Yeah extremely fleet based i don't know about the imperial fists i know they ride around in a giant star fortress called the phalanx but i think they have a home world Hmm. somewhere i don't know for sure uh typically it's like their home world got blown up the ultramarines are not a fleet based chapter they have large fleets but they live on mccrag yeah um which brings me to why are the ultramarines called the ultramarines dion do you know that no you don't know why they're called the ultramarines (laughs) do you have a guess uh nope not at all no nope um a lot of people would think it's because they're the best marine um, <laughs> okay, so ult- no yeah slightly less smooth-brained people would think it's because their color is blue and i don't know if you know that but in english that color blue is called ultramarine okay yeah ultramarine yeah it uh, was a color but and i'm sure the actual reason if you go back far enough you got to keep in mind that thir- that 40k was written 30 years ago by a bunch of just guys in the basement somewhere yeah um i'm sure it has to do with the fact that they were the best marines they were the ultra marines okay. the Ultramarines. the real reason though that they're called the ultramarines is where do they live Ultramar. They live in Ultramar. They're the Marines of Ultramar, right? True, yeah. Uh, so they were the warborn basically up until they found Gilliman on McCrag, 
and then Gilliman, I guess, conquered Ultramar, and they became his army, the Ultramarines. Yeah. Um, so they what makes them yeah. unique is not only do they have a homeworld, which a lot of Marines have, but they they rule a little empire. Yeah, which is more than a homeworld. They have like a the, fi- the five hundred worlds of yeah, Ultramar. exactly. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, specifically called the five hundred worlds of Ultramar. The Ultramar, um, yeah. It's uh, it's on the eastern fringe of space. So for uh, listeners who are new, uh, space has directions. You got the galactic north, east, south, north, east, <laughs> southwest. Um, the eastern part of the Milky Way is called the eastern fringe, or the not the Milky Way necessarily, but the eastern part of the human empire is the Eastern Fringe, and a large chunk of that is the Ultramar Segmentum, I think it is. So, segmentum, does it say in there? Segmentum. Ultima Segmentum. Ultima Segmentum. That's yeah. where Ultramar is. That is where the 500 worlds of Ultramar is. Yeah. Um, the Ultramarines are from there, but they also rule. Like They, they govern the 500 worlds. It is under their leadership, yeah. and it, it's kind of funny because the Ultramarines are extremely loyalist, like very, very loyal to the yeah. Empire. There are other chapters that have ruled little places and been declared traitor because of it. Like there's been there's there's been there was a war called the Badab War, which was like basically Horus Heresy two electric boogaloo kind of. Like <laughs> it wasn't as bad as the Horus Heresy, but it was it was basically an ultra or not an ultramarine, but a space marine chapter master was like, This is my little kingdom and all hell broke loose. <laughs> like it was, yeah. There, there was more to it than just him declaring himself governor. But like, typically, space marines making their own little nations is, is not, not an okay something, thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, like the Inquisition probably is none too happy about that. But the Ultramarines are just such a force that who the fuck can stop them? Yeah, well, that thing is because as well as they have discipline and they're like uh, the lover boy of the uh, yes. god emperors as well. Well, a big chunk of it too is uh, hearkening back to the Great Crusade. The emperor was like, you guys are not governors. You are warriors. Yeah. He got mad at people for governing. But uh, we'll get into why the 500 worlds exist, but the Ultramarines rule the 500 worlds of Ultramar. Uh, I do believe they have like appointed governors and stuff, but... Uh, Martinez Calgar, the chapter master, is yeah. both the chapter master of the Ultramarines and the ruler of Macrag, which is the capital. The capital, of the yeah, that's it, yeah. Um, they are a meritocracy, though, which is really cool. Like objectively speaking, Ultramar is probably one of the better places to live to live yeah. in the galaxy, if not the best place to live, uh, because as a meritocracy, if you have the will to excel, you will excel. Like if you, and, yeah, yeah. They, they're not going to just promote a guy because his family is yeah, exactly. a noble. They're going to promote a guy because he's got dirt on his hands and he's good at his he's job. Doing, yeah, yeah but he's doing well, so we'll we reward him because he's doing good. Which again is very Roman. Like when yeah. we say they're based off Rome, they're based off Rome at the height of the empire strength, not the like weird inbred yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 thing no, no, that no, it was no. at the end. Um, they also rule their, or run their chapters of meritocracy though too, right? Like the guys who do the best become leaders. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting is, uh, do, do you know what chapter serfs are? Like, do you know about the serfs? Like how chapters have serfs? serfs? No. Um, so you know what I mean by serf, right? Like S-E-R-F? Yeah, like the old medieval, uh... Yeah, like a not slave, but kind but, of slave yeah. adjacent. Yeah. <laughs> the serfs, uh, every chapter has serfs. Yeah. Because you've got a thousand space marines. In a chapter, typically. Yeah. Those dudes are there to fight. 
Yeah. But you need somebody to sweep the halls to do, to do and right. to yeah, scrub yeah. the toilets and to feed them and to do the paperwork. Like you yeah. need you need logisticians essentially. Yeah, yeah, that's what the serfs do. Vast majority of chapters are like d- don't really like their serfs. Like they're either slaves or oh, yeah, they're yeah. prisoners or some of them are just straight up servitors that have like no consciousness. Yeah, they're brain the dead. Space Marine, the Ultramarines, uh, treat their serfs as equals. Huh. Like they're they're probably not like oh this guy is equivalent to a captain but they're like no, no, but there might be like a lead serf who is seen as equivalent to a captain mm-hmm. but the reason for that is they understand that like the space marines are battle brothers they're there to fight but that doesn't mean they're more important than the guy who feeds them yeah because yeah, exactly, that yeah. guy is equally as important as because if you don't feed me I'm not gonna be exactly. able to fight as well so, so, yeah. so they they treat their serfs as equals and a lot mm. of their serfs are a lot of their serfs are probably pulled from uh McCrag and the other worlds of ultramar like as as volunteers but a good majority of them are actually failed aspirants because the the ultramarine that to become a space marine is a process like yeah a very difficult strenuous process that will probably kill you but it yeah. doesn't always kill you and if you somehow don't die but otherwise do not make it as a space marine from the all the uh... they'll if you're alive still and in one piece they'll be like well you, you still earned a right to serve and so they'll bring you into the chapter and you will still have a place and a home in that chapter and what's you what's really cool about the ultramarines is they actually like treat them like like civilly like they yeah. treat them well um where like i think black templar for instance are very like you're not not only are my serfs beneath me but they don't even really recognize their presence outside of potential for like being cannon fodder or something um and keep in mind black templar are good guys (laughs) um (laughs) the uh the chapter also obviously has a very high regard for honor yeah and uh and like what's the other word like honor and and bravery and stuff um but and people i think get a little confused about this because of the codex they're not stupid about it like there's some people in the lore and and some chapters that will hold honor in such high regard that they will willingly die to follow the just because they're like it's dishonorable to do the intelligent thing where the ultramarines are like no fuck that if if it will be honorable about something but if yeah. yeah logic dictates that we do something else uh the honor is more like what's interesting is how i said they're diplomatic yeah ultramarines are very diplomatic they will try to deal something with something peacefully if they can they have been known to ally with the tau and even the eldar like actually i think the mm-hmm. eldar more than the tau there's been multiple occasions where they've the allied eldar. with eldar um for new listeners uh tau and eldar are aliens they're xenos um it's gross heresy to even like yeah. be on the same planet as a fucking alien. Like if you're on the same planet as an alien and you are yeah. not trying to kill that alien, they, the inquisition will come for you. But the Tau is like, okay, there's like, they want to be all in one and whatever. Yeah. But the, the, well, the, the Eldars are like, uh, the, Eldar, bit, uh, the more you look into the Eldar, it makes more sense. Cause the Eldar are insane. Well, the dark Eldar, okay. The, the dark Eldar are batshit. Well, they're not insane. They're actually very, Oh. mentally there it's just that they, they're, they're crazy they're not crazy they just understand they, they, they have a different means of dealing with their problems than a normal person would <laughs> um but yeah. the the actual eldar like their biggest enemy is the the chaos forces of slanesh mm. the pleasure god or yeah, the yeah. god of excess um 
they don't want to, like, under any circumstances, they will do anything they can to not die and be fed to Slanesh. Yeah. So, obviously, the, the Eldar's greatest fear is chaos. So, when it comes to chaos, and uh, Ultramarines being Imperial, their also greatest fear, is, not greatest fear, but their greatest enemy is chaos. chaos. yeah. So, when it comes to the two of them facing chaos, they will link up together and be like, this is how we deal with it. Especially because the Eldar are a little frail and don't have they're, they're they're not only frail but they're very susceptible to to chaos like they they are weak yeah. against it um but they have knowledge that the marines might lack mm-hmm. so they make good allies but when i was talking about their honor what makes them very unique in this this idea of honor because you could say any space marine faction would be honorable yeah is if they ally with the tau or they ally with the eldar as soon as the job's over, they're not going to immediately turn around and start killing the Eldar. Like, if they yeah. make an agreement where they're like, we will not fight you, they won't fight them. Yeah, yeah And they when, won't. when the battle's over, they will say, we will now go our separate ways. Like, we are friends until the battle's over, and now we are done, mm-hmm. and we go away from each other. But they're... And that's it. Yeah, other chapters will absolutely... Uh, any other force, basically, will absolutely just turn and around start killing and... the other guy as soon as the main threat's yeah. gone. Um, so where... they respect their, uh, their, their words. They're very true to their word. Yeah. Um, they also... Cool. Uh, they also hold humans, I think, in higher regard than a lot of other space marines because um, you've got to keep in mind that space marines and ultramarines are not human they're transhuman they're yeah, yeah they've been human. mutated and they've yeah. been they're bigger him. stronger yeah. smarter they're nearly immortal um and as such like a lot of chapters again black templar i'm always going to go back to black templar because that's what you're playing they're my boys but <laughs> the the space marines on a whole kind of have a disdain for humanity and i i from the lore standpoint i love that like i love this idea that these people the 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 marines are supposed to be like the apex of what humanity can become but they're not even really human anymore and And they they don't like humans they (laughs) they often consider like more often than not and this is just a generic blanket statement more often than not space marines see humans as a problem like they're like you are in our way yeah. you're causing the problem that we're here to fix uh yeah. at best they're like you're cannon fodder like at best they're like oh good we have a guard regiment with us go suck up enemy bullets while we go deal with the actual problem yeah, right yeah, yeah. um ultramarines actually like people like they yeah. obviously they rule they govern their 500 worlds yeah. and they govern them pretty well so they're like we care about the people we're ruling yeah um they will go out of their way to prevent unnecessary casualties. They yeah. And this isn't just the Ultramarines. There are a lot of chapters that do this. The Salamanders, the Space Wolves, the Lamenters, they all have good relations with human with, beings. With humans, yeah. But on the whole, all, Space Marines don't. Yeah, The Ultramarines actually care about their people, and they, they, they live alongside them to some degree. Like, they live on their home planets um they, they they're not secluded and they're, they're not secluded, no i don't think they're as as buddy buddy with people as say the salamanders because like the salamanders will like when they're not doing space marine shit and they're on their home world they'll be they like go go, go spend time with your family like go back to your family yeah. where like with ultramarines they're like no you belong to the chapter now your family is no more like yeah, yeah. um which goes into the recruiting policies a bit like they will recruit from pretty much anywhere but obviously a lot of noble families have sons that have joined the ultramarines mm-hmm. yeah and the ultramarines very quickly teach those people that like yeah you're from a noble family but that means fucking nothing no like, yeah. your family name is garbage here yeah you have um, to prove yourself 
You have to prove you have yourself. To, they you don't have care. To, uh, not to own, but you have to prove that you're worth that you're worth being. You're here. worth it being absolutely, here. Yeah. yeah. Um, Space Wolves too. They're very buddy buddy with their people. Um, well, it's more like the they're, they're Viking. They're, team. they're their whole other they're Viking team. Thing. So yeah. Uh, so they they uh, they uh, I think would be a little closer with their people, but the uh, the Ultramarines do care about the people under their protection. Um, Obviously, if they have uh, like the have their own little let's say kingdom that's yeah they have for sure to, they, they have to to obviously but again going back to what i was saying about the badab war about how there was another space marine yeah. guy who did that uh the badab war was a guy started ruling this area this little sector called badab and uh he ruled with an iron fist like he was a bad dude yeah i think I he was know. like space Mussolini or something like he yeah. was a real bad dude and the Imperium was pretty okay with that. Like, they were like, you do you, man. Just keep paying your taxes. And what made him become a traitor was he stopped paying his taxes. And they're yeah. like, well, now we got to kill you. They're like, we don't care that the people who live under you are uh, oppressed and, and in and chains. Yeah. You stopped paying your taxes. we got to come deal with you. Um, worth mentioning, too. Do you know what a gene seed is when we're talking about gene seed chapters? Gene seed, I know it's, uh, well, it's pulled from the either the primarchs or the god emperors for the primarchs whatever but the primarchs yeah, come yeah. from the the uh, the god emperors but like this ultramarines comes from the reboot yeah so the the god emperor created the 20 primarchs and they're essentially like heavily altered clones of himself right yeah. like they all have he, he took part of his genetic material to make and the primarchs creates. but then he put other things into them like yeah. uh for instance conrad kurz would have had like elements from eastern europe put into him and yeah. he would have had other things in him to make him who he is um things like uh what's his name uh lehman russ yeah I, I don't know if the whole him being a wolf thing was intentional or not but like his gene seed will carry that trait that's yeah. why space wolves have wolf-like abilities yeah, yeah. or traits uh so the gene seed is basically the raw genetic yeah. material that defines what a primarch is right yeah they take that gene seed and they use that to make new Marines. Mm -hmm. So they take a regular dude, they put the gene seed in that dude, put him through all these surgeries and out pops a Marine 50 yeah. some odd years later. If he survives. If he survives that yeah. process, which most of them don't. Like, I think it's like something one in 10 people yeah, might live uh... through it. It's like a very high attrition rate. Um, the gene seed though, for most of the Legion, most of the, cause there's, there's Legion gene seed. There's only Legion gene seed, right? Cause it's from the 20 legions. Most of the gene seed is corrupted, like to some degree or another. Like yeah. the uh, Space Wolf gene seed is pretty corrupted, I think. Um, the Blood Angel one is like really heavily corrupted. With the Red Thirst. The, the, the Red Thirst, Black the Rage. Black Rage. Yeah, that's a really badly corrupted one. Um, yeah. Obviously, a lot of the Chaos stuff is like really corrupted to a point where like the Chaos Marines, I think, largely like quote unquote recruit from loyalists. Because they just can't use their own gene seed anymore. Um, so they by by <laughs> recruit, I mean they brainwash them or yeah. kidnap them or it's hire them as mercenaries. Funny to think that the chaos cannot even use their own chaos yeah. genes because there's it's too chaos. Yeah, like they go out of their way to steal gene seed. That's kind of <laughs> why the apothecaries exist, is because gene seed is finite. Like there's not an unlimited amount of it. There yeah. is a very limited a reserve, amount. Yeah. yeah. So the apothecaries exist to like they are medics. But when you and that's how they work in the game. In the game, they're a medic. Yeah. But in real life, or I should say, in the world the real, of 40k, uh, the, the lore and the story, it yeah. is near impossible to kill a space marine. So, like, if you get to a point where a space marine needs medical intention, he's probably dead. 
or as good as dead and will be interred into a dreadnought. But in yeah. the event that they can't bring him back for whatever reason, the apothecary's main job is to recover his gene seed. Yeah. So that the bad guys don't get it. And yeah. that they can make a new space marine. The Ultramarine's gene seed is the most pure one. Like, it's the one that's the least genetically corrupted. corrupted. Yeah. But I don't Is there any corruption? Because I don't... I, like, I, you know, the, the Blood Angel would say, like, the Red Third Black Rage... No, that's pretty downside. So the corruption doesn't always necessarily mean it's stuff like that. Okay. Like the corruption can be like how I said. Um, can turn into chaos. Space or... Marines can like spit acid. Yeah. Or like I think some Space Marines can like see infrared. Like I know Salamanders yeah. can see infrared. Yeah. Um, space Marines have like all these other abilities and glands and organs that humans don't have. Yeah. That's part of the gene seed. Yeah. The gene seed corruption might be like over a thousand years these guys lost an ability oh okay yeah so the the gene seed corruption it's not can necessarily be, uh, no it's, it's like not necessarily sickness. sickness no it's not necessarily a noticeable thing it's it's okay more often than not just like you lose they've since lost something that they used to be able to do but okay. in extreme circumstances like the blood angels it's like oh no they're all fucked <laughs> yeah. Um, well yeah the uh the ultramarine gene seed though is the most stable um and as a result, they have the lowest amount of, like, genetic deviation, mutation, outright treason. Because, like, treason is a result of, of uh, bad gene yeah. seed at times. Um, also, as a result of their gene seed, they have, I think there's more successors to the Ultramarines than any other chapter. Like, there, I think there's over, like, a thousand chapters that belong to the Ultramarine gene seed. Yeah. The thing is, though, you got to keep in mind, like, you know what these successors are, right? Like, what defines a successor chapter. i don't know what the final there's like uh kind of no but not really know what successor, so what makes a successor so you know chapter. what the horus heresy was correct yeah yeah when horus when yeah uh, well he got turned and he they took the one of the most royalists whatever and turned him bad and then tried to pull people with yes him. so the horus heresy was was basically horus a primarch yeah uh the emperor's favorite primarch yeah. One, one of, of the one of the twenty primarchs like fell to everyone, chaos. He yeah. was loved by everyone. He fell to chaos, and he brought ha basically half of the the Space Marine legions with him. Yeah, and a civil war broke out. And you got to keep in mind what I was saying about legions earlier. How they number like ten thousand to a hundred thousand ish yeah. men. After the Horus Heresy, which was like massively destructive. Gilliman was like, well, that can't happen again. Then there's too many. It's too dangerous to have and, that many people. And he wrote the Codex Astartes. Part of which dictated, which the Codex of Stardes was basically, this is how we build our chapters yeah. to make them both efficient, but also to prevent this from happening again. That, if, that someone went nuts and has like 20,000 spacemen and wiped everyone. Exactly. Yeah. And and basically part of the Codex of Stardes was him saying like, no one person should have that sort of power at their yeah. fingertips. No one person should be able to lead thousands upon thousands of marines anymore so they're uh, divided yeah. in chapters uh -huh. the i think it was called the first founding i always get this mixed up if the first founding was the legions or not we'll assume that the first founding was a legion so the second founding i might be mixing that up we'll say the second founding but i'm sure i'm gonna get yelled at by anybody listening if i'm wrong <laughs> um the second founding was basically toward some point after the end of the Horus Heresy, the Emperor's up on the Golden Throne. Reboot Gilliman took it upon himself to rule the Imperium, whether anyone else wanted him to or not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's like, you guys are breaking into chapters. So the Space Marines broke up. So they, the original Legions kept their name. So the Ultramarines stayed the Ultramarines. 
Yeah. Uh, they only had a thousand guys. Yeah. And all the extra guys became Successful. other chapters, right? Yeah. The Imperial Fists broke into the Crimson Fists, the Black Templar, things like that. Yeah. Uh, Ultramarines off the top of my head. I, there's so many. I think just the Mantis Warriors is the first one that comes to mind. The Ultramarines. Yeah, they'll say in your book there are a couple, but... Yeah, yeah, yeah. There were a few chapters that didn't become... Uh, there, Sorry, a few legions that didn't become chapters for one reason or another. Um, yeah, see, like, you got two whole fucking pages of, what, a du- eight? So there's 16 right there. Yeah, that's just, that's just probably the popular one. That's just the 16 that they wanted to paint. Like, that's... <laughs> that's probably, there, yeah. there are thousands of Space Marine <laughs> chapters that owe their heritage to... The Ultramarines. The Ultramarines. And there's actually more than they know because a lot of chapters don't even know where they came from. There mm-hmm. are actually some chapters that have chaos gene seed in them because they still have a bank of that genetic material. Yeah, yeah. But like nobody, like there's some chapters that are just so new that they don't know for sure what their genetic lineage is. Yeah, okay, and yeah. nobody can say for sure. Um, but the Ultramarines are absolutely siring most of them mm-hmm. um, because of their genetic sta- stability. Uh, it's worth noting at this point, too, what's kind of interesting, though, is how I keep saying there's 20 legions, and I'll, we'll get into this in another episode, probably. Yeah. Have I told you about the two missing ones? Yeah, the wall... Yeah, you told me about the two missing ones, we don't know what they are, but apparently it was for people to create their own? Yeah, if, the whole... If they wanted. The real concept is, is 30-ish years ago, they're like, there's two missing legions, and the reason behind the them writing in these two missing legions was so you could make your own legion. Yeah. Nowadays, if you showed up and were like, I'm one of the 20 missing legions, and you put your missing legion army on the table, they'd laugh you out of the store. Like, they'd be like, you're fucking stupid, don't do that. Um, but of those those two missing legions, like, there's really nothing in the lore about them, yeah, except that's... for a few offhand mentions about, like, remember the Emperor killed our brothers, eh, fellow Primarch? Like, that's all, that's all you get. Uh, yeah. There's a theory that a good chunk of them are ultramarines, though. Because there was something about, I can't remember where it said this specifically, but there was something about one of the, uh, two of the legions went missing, yeah. or whatever, and around that same time, the Imperial Fists and the Ultramarines numbers went way the hell up. Like, like an extra 10,000 yeah, dudes. So it's, it's in theory there's these other legionaries Yeah, they have to break yeah. it up, uh, break it, yeah. Um, yeah. so... That was a, a quite a bit actually there about their character. I think we went over on our time a bit yeah, on that, around. but whatever. Um, oh, talk about characters. We're good. What characters do you know? Well, who who I, are the important characters? Well, I know Reboot is the Primarch. That robot Girlyman. Robot Girlyman, the uh, the Primarch, the Legislation. Uh, and then I know Calgar. Calgar, yeah. Yeah, was the Chapter Master. Did which, I forget which, to put Cal? I might have forgot to write about Calgar. Which. It took over while Reboot wasn't up there. Holy poo, I forgot to write about Calgar. I was like, <laughs> oops. <laughs> yeah, there's well, Calgar. Right. Well, it was the chapter master. He is the chapter yeah. master and was in charge of the Ultramarine while Reboot was in stasis. Yeah. Uh, you got Uriel, who was exiled and came back after his exile because he did non codex thing. Yeah. Uh, then you got uh, Sicarius. Cato Sicarius. Yeah, which yeah. I don't know much about it, except you told me that everyone will dislike yeah, him. and don't it, like him. <laughs> and, uh, and if you look at his model and everything, is just like his uh, thinking is better than everyone. 
Yeah, he has uh, a whole. I don't know if he's got a new model, but his old model is just awful. Like the what with that fucking uh, the feather shaped uh, yeah. feather. I get well, why. I get for the Roman thing. Yeah, or... it looks like a Roman centurion, but it is that is like the worst model designed by a blind man I've ever yeah. seen. <laughs> it's just horrible uh, looking. Other characters, uh, there's the labyrinth. Uh, Tiger, Ty- Tigerius, 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 yeah. Uh, the Lauren Tigerius and uh, as characters, I think that's well. I've I've seen the name of the models. Like I think there's Cassius where we're uh, Orton Cassius. Cassius He's yeah. very cool. Yeah, the, the one we put in big. Actually, I think I have his model around here somewhere. I think it's next to you. Uh, yeah, he's down there. This guy? Yeah, that's Orton Cassius. I'm yeah. kind of mad he hasn't got a Primaris model yet. Um, yeah. Because he absolutely should. He's a very cool model. And I'm surprised and, that they haven't uh, given him a... Like, they're the surgeon. Uh, surgeon, we were talking about putting him in the vehicle. Yeah, yeah Cronus. Cronus, yeah. Cronus. And, uh, but I don't know nothing about these characters. Well, we'll get into them a bit. I just um, know by names, and I've seen their models, and I just know Ariel is a fort, is... Uh, like the second come oh fourth for real yeah yeah yeah, yeah fourth, real yeah, is yeah. the fourth the green guys the, well I don't know it's the name commander of the fourth company. the captain the captain, the captain. of the fourth company yeah. yeah is more about uh he's he's like your favorite isn't he so far well I, I don't know I just seen the models I like the models and then it's like oh it's not the golden pauldron it's like more stuff so I yeah could, you could make your own like he is a very cool model he's got a cool model and he's and he's got cool story that's what I like it's They've... more unique and you can create a more uh, like when I boom arm is more unique like this is the army of Uriel yeah you're uh, not playing, playing the you're cloak. not playing a second company yeah. that's the thing yeah um, their cloak greens and stuff and yeah he uh I don't I, I could be entirely wrong about this but I think he's like a newer addition to the whole lore. I think the model was the, the model's absolutely new. Right there were not it. rules for him. I don't know yeah. how long he's been in the lore itself though, but um, I know there's books about him. Yeah, but there you gotta keep in mind there's hundreds of authors, so they can churn yeah. books out like nothing. But I'm I'm assuming that they're operating on like uh because as we mentioned, the Ultramarines do get a bit of hate, quite a bit of hate. So I think that was to uh, yeah they're starting trying to, to mind the... they're starting to shift into these like not so vanilla characters so, he's, so they he's kind of changed cool how ones. the uh, people view them it's like oh yeah. Israel is more this, this he's, way he's basically so. the opposite to Sicarius I, yeah. I, I did note down a couple of, of the different characters here because they, I, I was looking at characters last night there are fucking hundreds like there's and they all have their own book and they all got yeah, their own. Yeah. It's, it's absurd how fucking many yeah the, their stories all kind of go the same. This guy was the best in his company at Probably doing this specific uh, thing, so he won this honor at this battle, and derp a derp derp yeah, derp yeah. now he's the... And there's your captain. I don't care. They're all blue guys. They all look kind of the same. Um, yeah. The first one to obviously talk about is Reboot Gilliman, yeah. or Robot Girlyman, or Big Bobby G, or whatever you want to <laughs> call him. Um, he's the uh, Papa Smurf. He is, uh, yeah. he is the... Ultramarines, the Primarch yeah. of the Ultramarines. He was the first one. Um, yeah. Obviously, he warrants his own episode. Like, I can't really talk about him without spending an hour to just talk about, about him because it's just done, there's so he... much. Yeah. Um, the big thing to know about him is uh, so he's a Primarch, yeah. which means he's basically a son of the Emperor. There yeah. were twenty of them when they were in when they were just little cute baby Primarchs in scattered. these big pods. Uh, Due to chaotic forces, um, yeah, a little black hole basically opened yeah. up in the emperor's office and sucked all the gestation capsules and sent them across the galaxy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Calgar landed, or not Calgar, sorry, Gilliman landed on a place called McCrag. Yep. Which uh, do you know what the age of strife was? You no. Know? 
cool. We'll get into that at some other episode. But basically, the Age of Strife was bad times. And uh, there were, briefly, like, little human empires scattered through the galaxy. Yep. And everybody was having a good time. And then the Age of Strife happened. And warp storms started just and cutting everything Everybody apart. didn't have a good time. Yeah, and so these planets all of a sudden were, like, had no outside access. And these were planets that were largely reliant on trade. Oh, okay. So yeah. it was like people starved and died yeah, and stuff, yeah, like yeah. on planetary scales. Uh, McCraig was a pretty good planet prior to that. And then the, the age of strife kind of cut it off and it wasn't completely uninhabitable, but it was like basically space Detroit is a good way to think about it. Like it was just kind of toxic okay there were people living there but it was violent it wasn't yeah, yeah, yeah. great um gilliman landed there his, his gestation capsule landed on this planet and uh he was found by hunters like there were hunters out in these woods and they came across this like space pod and they're like what yeah. the hell and they open it up and they find this baby in it but they're like this isn't just a normal baby yeah why the first you... tell being it fell from the goddamn sky and it being a capsule and, and like... it being in a capsule but also they were like this is a really gorgeous baby. Like, even by baby standards, this is an unusually pretty baby. That's yeah. weird. And weirder, it has a glowing light. They're like, this baby's fucking glowing. Like, it's, yeah. it's like Jesus glowing, fucking radiating light. It means something. So they took him back. They took the baby back to uh, the console. Like, C-O-N-S-U-L, as in, like, the console of Rome. Oh, yeah, thing. yeah. Because McCraig was ruled by two consoles. Uh, his name was Konar. He took baby Gilliman in and raised him as his own son. Gilliman, uh, grew up on, as a son of this consul on McCrag. He excelled at, he, he, like his tutors taught him as much as they could. And yeah. I think it was like, by the time he was like six, he had mastered everything that, he, that the best scholars could teach him. <laughs> like he was like, he, I, I was going to say he's a Mary Sue, but like all Primarchs are by design a Mary Sue. Yeah, like, yeah. none of... The, there's no Primarch story where it's like, you know, the guy was illiterate, and, <laughs> like, he, he couldn't write his name properly. Like, there's no Primarch that's bad at stuff. No, yeah. yeah. Um, but even by Primarch standards, like, Gilliman was very good at stuff. But he excelled, where he, he kind of learned everything, he excelled at military strategy and tactics, diplomacy, and philosophy. Like, those were his yeah. big things that he was really good at. Um, I won't get too much into the why, but but basically his dad dies. There's a civil war outbreak yeah. on McCrag. Uh, Gilliman's off doing something. He comes back and he's like, oh no, my dad's dead. And he kills the guy who killed his dad. And then he's like, fuck this shit. And he reunites McCrag. Like he yeah. conquers McCrag. McCrag was cut off, but there were local planets that it was able to kind of yeah, communicate yeah. with and still travel to and from at sublight speeds. Yeah. So Gilliman quickly conquered those as well. Um, he ends up meeting the emperor. Because uh, the Emperor goes on his Great Crusade, inevitably he finds McCrag, he comes down, and uh, middle, 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 he gives Gilliman a legion. And then mm. they set off on into the stars. Um, he, uh, during the Horus Heresy, I'll get into it a little later in the episode, but he created what was called the Imperium Secundus. Yeah. Which means the Second Empire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a lot of back and forth on this among the fan base about like Gilliman's basically a traitor because this is basically treason. Like, like yeah. he was like, I'm making my own empire and it'll be better with blackjack and hookers. And he made his own little <laughs> empire within the Imperium at large. That's the 500 worlds of Ultramar. Um, 
more importantly, though, what it's most famously known for is he authored the Codex of Stardust. Yeah. Again, he was a genius tactician. Uh, all Primarchs were tacticians by design. They were all meant yeah. to be generals, right? But they all yeah. excelled at different things. Mm-hmm. Like uh, Conrad Kerr, as I keep bringing him up, was excelling at being a terrorist. Yeah. Uh, there was, uh, what's his name? Fulgrim was a, a bladesman, like a blade master. He was yeah. a sword master. Um, Lorgar was the prophet, right? Gilliman, Dorn, and Horus yeah. were very, very good strategists. They were excellent strategists. They were very good generals, very good at tactics, very good at discipline. Um, and I don't know so much about Dorn, but especially Horus and Gilliman yeah. were also extremely good diplomats. Like yeah. they, they were both very charismatic. They were well liked Horus more so, but yeah. they were both very well liked and they would prefer to do things in the least destructive manner possible. Whereas yeah. other, our other legions would be like, no, just fuck everything up. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, we have to kill everyone to get the planet. We'll kill, we'll kill everyone to get the planet. Yeah. So, yeah. so Horus heresy happens. The bad guys run off into the Eye of Terror and disappear. Uh, the Empire is left in ruin, and Gilliman's kind of running things now, and so he dictate. He wrote the Codex of Stardust, yeah. and he's like, "This is how we need to run things. This is yeah, if this is how we have to. First of all, we have to break our legions into chapters, so nobody has that much concentration of force. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But those chapters have to be built in this order, right? And I have it written down here. Uh, we'll get into it in a bit about the actual tactics but uh oh actually i accidentally skipped over him because the way this is laid out oh we'll go back the basically he dictated how each company should be built yeah and the reason for that is that each company can kind of operate on its own mm-hmm. but in the event that one company goes trader yeah it can be easily dealt with by the other companies exactly yeah. that's the idea they can unite or whatever and deal with it and i don't think it's necessarily that they follow the codex of stardust but even the imperial guard works like that like everything military in the imperium works on that kind of like for instance within the imperial guard if you are an infantry regiment you have no tanks yeah, and it's okay. not just like you have no it's like your you might be a planet with no tanks your whole planet is just infantry and then the mm. planet next door is all tanks and none of you have access to fucking aerial vehicles because that's the navy's job yeah. and that way if an entire naval fleet goes traitor yeah they have flyers but they have no ground control and yeah. if a whole infantry group goes traitor yeah they have ground control but they're not going anywhere yeah exactly yeah, yeah. um so it's basically about compartmentalization yeah um he uh, he obviously took a significant leadership role post heresy. Like mm-hmm. he uh, he he, I think he appointed himself regent, or made someone appoint him regent. I don't really know how he did that, but he was a regent of the Imperium after the Emperor uh, started having his nap. And the other thing worth noting: this is all post heresy. Like this is this is like just after the Horus heresy. Yep. He made friends with a dude named Belisarius Call. Have I talked to you about Belisarius Call? Do you know who he is? Nope. He is not the he's not the what do they fucking call it the lord fabricate fabricator general he's not the fabricator general but he's very high up in the admech like he wants to be the fabricator general and uh even by admech standards they're like you're a little weird like they think like admech people are weird yeah they think he's weird by their standards (laughs) but he is a very 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 technologically intelligent um member of the adeptus mechanicus his model's very cool he looks 
kind of like a big hooded snail spider thing made of robot parts. It's hard. It's basically just a mass of like tentacles and robot legs. Okay, yeah. Um, what separates him from the other Adeptus Mechanicus is he's not really afraid of like deviating oh, okay. from like how the Admech will never build their own ship. They will only ever rediscover lost technology and build that. They will not reverse engineer. Yeah. They will not build new stuff. He will. He's not afraid to piss people off. That's kind of why they don't want him to be fabricator that is he the one that kind of uh, made the primaries? That's what I'm about to get at. Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. Because so, uh, a lot of people get riled up and kind of yeah, lore-wise, so like, why is there primaries? He, Gilliman, made friends with Belisarius Call. Yeah. And I don't know why this would come up in discussion, but he, he made Call promise two things. The second thing makes sense, but... Actually, no, it doesn't. Neither of these things really make sense. <laughs> but the first thing he made Call promise him, he's like, you need to build a technology that in the event of my death, I will come back. Like That's a really weirdly specific thing to ask somebody to do. But that's, said to, uh, the em- to the God Emperor or to Reboot? R- Reboot Gilliman said that to Call. Oh, okay. This is, the Emperor's already gone. Ah, the yeah, Emperor's on already the throne. on his throne, yeah, yeah. sleeping. Okay, yeah. So... I was like, that's a weird thing to say to somebody, but also that's Games Workshop writing for you. That's just their poor retconning ability. The second thing he told them, told Call to do, is like, you need, we need together to improve upon the Emperor's design, which is like gross heresy. Like, that is like, somebody overheard that, they would have executed them. But he's like, we need to improve upon the Emperor's design and create new Space Marines, hence the Primaris Marines. Um,. That a lot of people, lore-wise, are yeah. upset. Because... So, in the year uh, 121 M31, that's how the, the... Have you seen the years? Bro? So, the way yeah. they... I don't know why they write it like this. Probably because they have to count things in, in uh, millennia, I guess. Yeah. The way 40K writes its timeline yeah. is, like, the 100 and then the 10,000s. Okay. So, like, 121.M31 means the 121st year of, of the, the 31,000th millennium, right? Okay, yeah, yeah. So basically in the year, I think that would be 31,121, uh, Gilliman, for some reason, was engaged in some war somewhere, yeah, yeah. and he fought against Fulgrim, who's the Primarch of the Emperor's children. But at this point, he's like a full-on demon prince. Like, this is well after, this is a hundred years after the Horus Heresy. Yeah. It might even be a thousand years after the Horus Heresy. And they've all fucked off into the Eye of Terror, and now they've come back, and this master swordsman is also a giant demon. And yeah. he had a magic fuck you blade that can kill Primarchs, and he stabbed Gilliman with it. Yeah. That's why Gilliman wound up in basically stasis. stasis like, they yeah. recovered his body, they stuck him in a big stasis bubble thing. Like, they yeah. built a temple for him, and he's on this big throne, and they kind of just bubbled him in there, and he's on yeah. life support for the next 10,000 years. Exactly, yeah. And they, they protected it with all their might, but they're like, oh no, our dad's dead. Like, the Ultramarines were sad about this, obviously. Um, mm-hmm. 10,000 years later, though, he's brought back. Yeah. Do, have you, do you know anything about that? Like, how? How? It's not the... Uh, like, the, the the dude from Abd, uh, Abmech... It's like, oh, I, yeah. I, know, I know a way to bring him back. And they're like, yeah, but they were not sure because are you going to kill him or not kill him? And they're like, they were fighting. and Yeah, so what it was, basically, uh, Call was like, beat Borp, I have this thing I invented to, to, to... make him come back because he asked me to. 
uh, well, it's it's really warrants its own episode. But basically, Cadia falls. The planet that the backup have been at here. The the Eye of Terror is where all the yeah. chaos guys are. This is the year forty thousand nine 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 or something. All the chaos people are coming out because Abaddon, the leader of Horus's legion, is launching a new Black Crusade. They take Cadia, which is the most important defense planet in the whole of the Imperium. They destroyed it. Yeah. They start rushing toward Earth, just wiping shit out on their way. The Eldar are obviously not very happy about this. But they've kind of figured out how to do resurrection mm-hmm. through their own means for their own... Like, that's that's a whole nother discussion. That yeah, there are. Basically, they have figured out a way to bring people back from the dead. And they're like, our really only hope... To is stop chaos. To stop chaos is to bring back Gilliman. So this Eldar witch lady and Call become buddies with St. Celestine of the Sisters of Battle. Yep. And they run to Gilliman... Or run to Kal- Calgar, I guess. And they're like, good news, we can bring your dad back. And he's like, awesome. And they're like, but we gotta unplug him first. And he's like, fuck you. Yeah. You're not <laughs> doing that. You're with a, a fucking alien. We're not doing that. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. As they're arguing, kill him, yeah. as they're arguing, the temple comes under attack from yeah. chaos. And in the fracas, uh, Call and the girl go unplug Gilliman. Yeah. And basically, Calgar sees that and he's like, what the fuck? You just you killed dad. Kind of time slows down for him. He's like, what have you done? And then Gilliman just stands up, and he's like, oh, fuck, he's back. And then he just starts swinging yeah, and killing shit. That, that's the part I've yeah. read. I just wake up from his he sleep and, and just immediately start just, murdering everyone. just starts murdering people. And needless to say, he is, after that settles, he sees the state of the Imperium, and he's like, this is not good. He's like, I do, what have you fucking people done? He's like, what did you do to our Imperium? This is not what we envisioned, yeah. you fucking idiots. <laughs> <laughs> and so he basically goes to Earth and goes up to the Senate, uh, the the High Lords of Terra, and he's like, I'm running things. He's like, you fuckers screwed this up. He did it more diplomatically. Obviously, like, obviously yeah. he showed up and he's like, may I please take control until you do no, do not need me in, anymore. But in his mind, he's, he's like, like what you people hell? need to be killed. Like he, he took the reins, became the Lord Commander of the Imperium, yeah. and set out on, I think it's the Indominatus Crusade, which is like, we're going to rebuild, we're going to fuck chaos off. Yeah. Um, that's, uh, that's Gilliman in a nutshell. Um, I just realized, like, I skipped over a whole bunch of shit here, but we'll go back to it. Uh, tactics, recruitment policies, not, nothing big. Um, Uriel, your guy, your boy. You're <laughs> my boy. Yeah. Uh, so you you know know a lot about him, eh? I don't know much about him. I just I know that he did things that was not war of the Codex and whatever. And so he got exiled. Yeah, I looked into that. I tried like I, I kind of know what he did, but it w- wasn't really well explained. You'd have to read the novel. Yeah. So he got exiled and then did I don't know what what he was exiled and then there's like. Oh, so now your time's up. You can come back, and here's your four legion for you. Yeah, it wasn't that simple for him. I like I'm. I, yeah, but I'm debating briefly. talking about him because it's it is a something we want to get into, but it's not an episode one thing we want to get. Uh, yeah. Uriel Fourth Company, as you yeah. know, they're green. Um, so the whole thing about him being kicked out yeah. was he was sent to go help a company from a chapter called the Morta Mortifactors Mortifactors. Uh, which were a successor of the Ultramarines. And yeah. I, I, I could be wrong, but this goes into what we were saying about the Codex of Stardes yeah. and how rigid they are. The Ultramarines are not actually that rigid with the Codex of Stardes. Uh, 
they're very most of the sensible ones are like it is a guideline. Guideline, yeah. I think it's the mortificate mortifactors. It's definitely one of the other chapters. Like I think the uh, red scorpions, I think they're called, or the minotaurs, one of the two. Yeah, are actually like way more. Like, like the dot the the codex is the codex and you have to follow like they will sacrifice people in if, order to just abide by the codex yeah, yeah. like th- there are ultramarine successors that are way more ultramarine than them um but basically he was sent to go uh help defend this planet called tarsus ultra against hive fleet leviathan which was a big tyranid hive fleet yeah um he had to i don't know why this is what this is where i, I get lost he had to abandon his guys for some reason. Uriel okay. was there to help. And for some reason he had to abandon his guys. And presumably they died. And when he abandoned his guys. He went to go aid a Death Watch kill team. Which as you know Death Watch are just space marines. That are good at killing aliens. Yeah. Uh, he went to go help this kill team kill the Nids. Uh, they go kill the Nid Queen. And when he gets back to his uh, home. They're like you abandoned your men. And like not only disregarded the Codex. But like completely abandoned yeah. Codex Doctrine. Uh, you have a Death Oath now. Which is basically like you have to go do this suicide mission and if you live maybe we'll let you back right and so the death oath was supposedly like verbatim he had to seek out a dark a place of dark iron where twisted reflections of space marines were wrought (laughs) okay so uh i really don't want to get too much into this because it is a cool story and it's also a really gross story but like middle 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 uh he briefly winds up inside of and then gets out of and then destroys something called the damien culaba which uh yeah it's, it's a nasty um it's a nasty story like it's the damien culaba is by and far the most fucked up thing in 40k like there's a lot of fucked up shit in 40k the damien culaba is like what the fuck was this guy doing like when he wrote this like it is it is not just like weird it's, it's just gross and unnecessary like it is yeah, yeah it's it's that guy it's, was on something for sure it is uh you know serbian film yeah yeah i think serbian film oh God. it's like it's like serbian film dialed up to 11 set in space um okay Anyway, so he destroys this thing, he goes back to his planet, and they're like, good job, Uriel, you did the thing we sent you to do, and he's welcome back. That's Uriel in a nutshell. Uh, yeah. He ended up going on to a place called Pavonis, Pavoris, Pavonis, I think, and he fought off the Tau. That's that's basically it. The Tau are yeah. a pretty frequent enemy of the Marines, as are the Nids, because of where they live in space. Yeah. Um, Captain Titus, do you know who Titus is? Titus. Uh, it's not the guy with no power armor? No, no, no. I'm missing. No, it. so Titus is the captain that you play as in the Ultramarine video game. Oh, yeah. The reason he's worth mentioning, so he's a second... Oh, he's not, he doesn't have a model, he's not in the... Uh, he doesn't have a model. No, and so... And he's not in the Codex. And... This is a little backward. It says he's second company, but Cato Sicarius is also second company, so it's probably different eras. Oh, you know what it is? I know why. So he's second company, but... Uh, he he has fought with the ultramarines for roughly 150 years for or sorry for more than 150 years he's been an ultramarine um huh. at 150 plus years he's young 
like he's a captain at over 150 years old and they're like you're a little young for your rank boy like you're yeah. a little under where you should be um but he's still like a very decorated officer yeah uh the big thing is in the video game if you haven't played it there's a forge world called Graia, uh an orc wog called yeah. uh wog grimskull takes it they're secretly being controlled by the forces of chaos who yeah. is secretly being controlled by an evil inquisitor yep um he Titus fucks it all up, kills him. Yeah, all. Okay. he get rid of everything, and then uh, he, he leaves with the Inquisition. Yeah, and he gets he, arrested because they yeah. think he's chaos, and then yeah. it turns out because he doesn't, he doesn't uh, not react, but like when he's been uh, attacked by chaos, whatever, he doesn't get affected as other people. Oh, is that why it is? I didn't know what the reason was. So I thought like, the Inquisition oh, just showed up. Not, and... uh, why are you not struggling against chaos? Is it because you're chaos? I thought I thought it was just like, because I didn't finish the game, I thought Inquisition just showed up and did their thing. It was like, no. somebody somewhere turned no, traitor, everybody's of, uh, The other spacemen, the other two Ultramans, like, why? Like, every other one is like, suffering and then uh, oh, and he, he crumbling because of chaos and this guy is kind of like, Taking it like yeah, what's well, he, up? It's like like why is this dude not like <laughs> there was something struggling about, with chaos? It's weird. So it I is. think it was about the Adeptus Arbites, which are uh, basically space cops, but it, it equally applies to the Inquisition, where their method of determining if you're guilty or or innocent is. Yeah. Somebody will ceremoniously declare that you're guilty, and being guilty means you've done something wrong. <laughs> so that's what I figured happened. Was the Inquisition just showed up and they're like, we know somebody did something everyone's guilty yeah. um, but so, no, it's just because it's like not uh like while well, the other chaos guy was doing his chaos thing it yeah. was not like uh he just wasn't affected affected as much as like oh so it's maybe because you have some chaos in you does it just leave it on a cliffhanger there the Inquisition and, and you don't know what happens and it's tough. okay so what ended up happening after that is he crossed the, he, he was cleared of all charges okay. he crossed the Rubicon Primaris became a, a Primaris Marine and was downgraded to the rank of Lieutenant oh. uh, probably because like it, it's probably like changing jobs so they'd have to reduce him in rank. Okay. Because he's no, he's like he's a captain of the firstborn, but now he's a primaris marine. Yeah. It's different tactics, different methods, right? Um, yeah. The reason I bring him up specifically yeah. is in the game, like in the first five minutes of the game, there's yeah. this old guy bitching on about like we have to follow the codex yeah, because, because they jump yeah. off the plow. The, Titus uh, is the one that's like shut the fuck up. He's the one that's like the codex is a guideline, yeah. not a rule book. So he's yeah. he's absolutely an honorable mention because like he's not in the the playable game, but he's by and far the coolest ultramarine. Yeah, I don't the know one why they like, don't have a model. Uh, he might now maybe because yeah, this whole thing about him becoming a primaris, I don't know. Yeah. Um, other one worth noting, I just, I didn't get any notes on him, but Orton Cassius, he's right there. He's yeah. a chaplain. Chaplain. His big thing is he joined the Death Watch as a junior chaplain, uh, was on a kill team, killed a bunch of Tyranids, came back. He's now an expert Tyranid. There's, there's more to him, but it's just, it's not worth getting into. Yeah. yeah. Um, Sergeant Antaro Cronus. Yeah. The guy yes. put in tanks. <laughs> I didn't really do too much on him. I just wrote about him cause he's such a goofy fucking unit. Um, he, he's... Basically, his his whole thing can be summed up as any Ultramarine story can. He's the best of all Ultramarine tank commanders. He's almost the best of all Space Marine tank commanders, period. <laughs> like, that's anybody in the Ultramarines, their story kind of follows that. He's the best at this thing ever. Nobody's better than him. Um, <laughs> he has a weird-looking red helmet. Yeah. And he has really stupid rules on the table. Like, I think yeah. it's if you fucking... Kill, like he can take control of a tank he boosts the tank's ballistic skill or something and if you kill the tank 
then now he's on foot. Yeah. Because like, there's like a five in six chance of him surviving the tank, but you've got this guy on foot. You're like, cool, I have a guy on foot, but he does nothing. Like, he's yeah. he's got a pistol. He's probably like a strength eight AP oh, two yeah, close combat or something. But like, it's just, he doesn't do anything. He's yeah. not really good at it. It's just... Wow, just taking yeah, an objective and don't move. Yeah, he's not necessarily good. Um, Sergeant Tellian, have you seen him before? You don't play Scout, so probably not. He used, Tellian, he but... used to be in uh, uh, HQ... I think he's an HQ. Now he's either an elite or he's a a point upgrade to a squad. Oh. Um, but he's a sergeant. He's a veteran sergeant. Yeah. Uh, the we'll talk about it, the actual breakdown in a minute. But the tenth company of all Space Marines, yeah. tenth company of all Codex compliant Space Marines is Scouts. Right? They're the junior Marines. Yeah. They're the new guys. The new guys. Yeah. Tellian is permanently stuck in the tenth company. Yeah, it's not the by guy with no power armor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah, okay, yeah. But that's by his own decision. Like, they keep yeah. being like, you hey, want promotion? He's like, nope, I'm yeah, happy he's here. the one we want to train the juniors. So he's taken it upon himself to train and guide the neophytes of the, the chapter. The new Space Marine that didn't um, yeah. uh, uh, merit their uh, power armor. Yeah, that it's, it's not just that they haven't earned the power armor. It's that I think their bodies would reject it. Like, they oh, couldn't actually. I could be wrong about that, yet. but it's just like they haven't grown into their body yet. They're okay. basically not in Space Marine puberty. Like, they have to still get there. Uh, um, okay. As with Cronus, he's the best of the best. He's the best sniper in the Imperium. Burp, 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 burp. Um, he's so good, though, that the Ultramarines will actually second him to other chapters. Like, other mm-hmm. chapters will borrow him and oh, be like, okay. hey, teach our guys, please. You're that good. Um, huh. I think he's kind of a cool character because yeah. of the whole, like, he refuses to move up and he stays where he is. Yeah. Uh, he's apparently trained, like, personally tutored four of the currently active uh captains um i assume he trained calgar i could be wrong on that but i think he i read somewhere that he trained calgar he has served under three separate chapter masters like he is an old fucking man even by space brain standards um and he uh what was the other thing oh he's he's so old and so like venerated that he would be with it like he would either be in the first company or within the honor guard yeah, if yeah. he was out of the 10th company yeah, yeah. uh meaning he would absolutely be a terminator or an honor guard or something yeah. he could have probably he probably absolutely would have been made captain by this point um very good chance he probably could have been a chapter master yeah, like yeah, that's yeah. how good he is how good he is yeah. uh he's just too uh yeah, second to last character we're going to talk about, obviously, Cato. He's the captain of the second company. So oh, so yeah. was Titus, but I assume one came after the other or something. Um, I didn't know this. He's currently the leader of the Victrix Guard. So the Victrix oh. Guard are like, I think, Reboot... Or no, the Calgar's Calgar's personal, the personal Guard. Personal right? Guard, yeah. So the personal honor guard of the Chapter Master are led by Cato. Oh. Um, okay. He's a generally unlikable dickhead, Yeah. even by Ultramarine standards. Uh, the reason for this, like, I, I haven't found anything saying the other Ultramarines don't like him, but t- apparently within some of the writing, the other Ultramarines are like, you're a bit of a dickhead, because it's, he, he's very high and mighty. Like, okay, even yeah. by Ultramarine standards, he's like, I am the most noble. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got, how many titles does he have? He has Captain of the Second Company, Grand Duke of Talisar, Caesarian okay. of Ultramar, Master of the Watch, and Hero of Blackreach. That's yeah. his title. And then you got the other dude before that. So it's like, I'm good in the 10th. Yeah, I'm good in the 10th. Um, the 10th company training junior. He is largely considered to be the next likely successor to Calgar. Calgar. Even though technically the captain of the first should be the successor. Um, I think his own 
I think that's largely his own thoughts more than other people. But yeah. I think even the other captains are like, okay, yeah, no, he he's a dickhead, but he's good at he's his good, job. Yeah, yeah. Um, the big thing that makes him kind of a dick is he's obsessed with glory above all else. The mm. Other Space Marines are it's honor. They're about like yeah. honor. He's like glory. He's like yeah. I want to be known i want my company yeah. to be the best right like he wants the good fame you want, you want to be famous yes and he's oh, very very like st- doctrine strict like he's very about the codex of star oh, okay. days he's very more uh, yeah very disciplined he's with less of a guideline more of a way of life like i said he's the opposite of titus yeah. he's, he's like the doctrine is a way of life not a not yeah, a, yeah like you said not a guideline um He's written by a guy named Matt Ward. I'm not going to get uh, too probably much. Probably the people don't like him that much. Yeah, so Matt Ward is... A lot of the things people hate about Space Marines is because of Matt Ward. Because he's making the Ultramarine, the Space Marine, all... Well, uh... so Ultramarines, I think, were his... Like, he wrote for Games Workshop, but I think he actually played Ultramarines. And so when he got the chance to write them, he made them just ridiculous. To a point yeah. where it was like... They were like, every other chapter everywhere looks up to the ultramarines yeah, and they yeah, all yeah. worship cow or they all worship gilliman even more than their own primarch and yeah, if like, you no. don't want to be like them you're not a good space marine like fuck off it's not no yeah kato was his guy like he wrote that's Kato. why he's about glory and fame yeah um <laughs> he was actually the captain though that came in my first box set was and it wasn't the really bad one with the weird yeah, head. It's the, um, the feather, uh, yeah, the Roman actually, feather. Uh, oh, I have the model kicking around here somewhere behind wow. us, but somewhere it's just a standard looking model. Um, but the reason I mention that is he is the hero of Blackreach, and my first box set was the assault on Blackreach. Um, uh, oh, last note, he has a stupid hat. Um, the fucking that a feather, yeah, uh, the Roman just, feather uh, has a dumb feather hat. Helmet, yeah. uh, the last guy we're going to talk about is named Ilian. Nastasi. Who the hell is that? So he is a farseer of the Uthwe craft world of Eldar. Of Eldar? Of Eldar. Why are we talking about him? Yeah. Why why is he in here? Yeah, why is he in here? It's the Ultramarine. He was sent to go warn Big Bobby G of some impending disaster during the Indominus Crusade. Okay. So he's an Eldar. But we're going to rewind 30 years. Go back to original 40k. Like I'm talking Rogue Trader era, first edition 40k, where the lore was nonsense. Yeah, it's uh... Yeah, he's half human, half Eldar. He's an astropath. Uh, so this is back when you could boink aliens, and it not only would it work, but you wouldn't be killed for it. Um, yeah. His half Eldar parentage made him a really, really powerful psyker. He became okay. the chief librarian of the Ultramarines. But the lore back then was so wonky that he was also somehow like an astropath, and he ha- he was like assigned to help the Dark Angels. So uh-huh. like back then, like lore was. Like the the Space Marines, I I think were more military than anything. Like they were basically like different regiments. Like you could have like this guy was posted to the Ultramarines and they got posted to the Dark Angels. Yeah. Not like you're an Ultramarine, yeah, you yeah. can't be a Dark Angel anymore, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's like posting. Yeah, and he kind of looked like a debonair Spock. Like he looked like a sexy Mister Spock. Uh, <laughs> he's Dark like, This is based off of like very old old lore. Like I'll see if I can find him. He. Uh, <laughs> Uh, Nastasi. I'll bring him up on my screen here. Images. 
Yeah, very old work. Oh yeah, yeah, like that's oh, that's yeah. that's first edition forty k right there. Um, oh yeah, that's um, so that's Spock. Yeah, it's very much Spock. <laughs> it's probably their uh, the uh, inspiration. Oh, very likely. I mean, most of forty k was stolen from things. Um, <laughs> so I, I skipped over this, but it's a really important part of the discussion: uh, the tactics of the Ultramarines, obviously. Yeah. Um, so their their current tactics. I mean, I think it's good we kind of talked about the characters first. I didn't mean that, but like like I said at the Warborn, how the Warborn worked, they were very disciplined. They were very regimented. Yeah. They did things in a tactical, sequential manner. Yeah. Uh, their tactics haven't changed that much. If anything, they've refined them. Um, strategies their their strategies are outlined heavily though by the teachings of the Adec- the Codex Astartes. Yeah. Um, to some extent, they do consider it a holy book. Like they do worship. Gilliman, yeah. yeah, even though they shouldn't, and they do consider, especially people like Sicarius, would yeah. consider that book to be like a Bible, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so people do like when I say people, I mean like in real life players, yeah, fans consider them unflinchingly rigid, and that was actually one of the things you said yeah. at the very beginning is they're very rigid, but in actuality, they're very, very adaptable, adaptable, yeah. and that's their strength is that. They don't excel at any one thing. Yeah. And, th- I mean, that can be said on the table mm. for Space Marines as a whole. They don't excel at anything, but they do things, v- they do everything well, right? Yeah. Um, obviously, other chapters do things different. Black Templar yeah. excel at combat. White oh, yeah. Scars excel at fast attack. Uh, I feel like Ultramarines is better at, like, uh, yeah. gunline, battle, yeah. range, range exactly. engagement. In, in the game currently, yeah. In Dark the game Angels, currently, yeah. Dark Angels, like, excel at being the most loyal chapter ever. No questions about it. Um, but Ultramarines are good at everything. They, yeah. they're, they're, The reason the Codex Astartes is written as it is, is any company could theoretically go into any situation and do and well, then with right? It, yeah. um, without being too strong Yeah, is the key there. Uh, but yeah, on the tabletop, and again, I am not a good player, and you're a new player, yeah. but from what we've played and what we've seen and looking at competitive lists, they seem to be gunlining, gun especially line. with their abilities to fall back and, and shoot. Or what? from what I've seen as well is they're making a Gulliman with a rolling ball of melee guy and just going, yeah. going through people. Well, that's a good example of like how we say they can kind of do anything, is you could have a gunliney Space Marine Army or Ultramarine Army, and still have this this Death Star of punching just moving through the board. Yeah. Where a good example is in Imperial Guard, there's a character named Iron Hand Strachan. Colonel Iron Hand Strachan, who's half metal. Okay. Uh, gotta keep in mind, he's a basic human. Okay. He's as strong as a Space Marine. Like, his oh. stat line is a Space Marine stat line. He's like Strength 4, oh, T4 or 5. He's got like fucking 6 attacks or something. His attacks are, think, are at Strength 8 because he's got a power fist. Okay. Um, and he has like a whole bunch of rules and doctrine rules and stuff that make him really good for close combat. Yeah, yeah. But you're fucking stupid if you're running a guard army and actually using him for close combat. Because no matter what you do, a guard army should not be doing that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're meant to hang back and shoot. Yeah. Where with Ultramarines or any Space Marine, yeah, you can gunline them. But if you get in combat, they're still scary. Like they're not. A, they're not a. a yeah something to be taken lightly right well it depends if you only have intercessors you don't have really any melee but no but against if, against if, a shooting army against guard yeah. <laughs> the intercessors will still kill you yeah. against templar the intercessors are dead but then if my templar are hanging back against your snipers yeah, yeah right yeah. um yeah 
but basically, so the way the codex works is, uh, it's got more than just combat guidelines. I think it's got ways to like govern things, and it's got religious and spiritual. Yeah, for us, rules. we always yeah. we always look at uh, the codex as a way to play the games, the rules itself. But I think if you're well, the, that's our codex. If, yeah, yeah, if, yeah, yeah. But if you're in the 40k universe, yeah. it's more like, uh, hey, this is the way of life. Yeah, it's it's like a whole big yeah, yeah. thing. This right? is how you're gonna do um, things uh, in. Your life and so I, I don't have it listed here in terms of their their company division, but the 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 chaplains and the librarians of a space marine company or chapter. I guess we should talk about them briefly. You know what the librarians do, right? Yeah. They're the wizards. They're, yeah, yeah, they're yeah. sorcerers, right? They have other jobs though. They create purity seals. Weirdly, I, I always figured okay. that should be the chaplains doing it, but they do. Cre- the, the librarians create purity seals, okay. and being librarians, they also focus on uh, the creation or the, the recording of, of history. Okay, they make sure everything's written Recorded, down. And, yeah, okay, right? yeah. Um, they, huh. be- I think it's called the librarius. It, like, it's of course it's in high gothic, so it's not just called a library, but yeah, yeah. every chapter has a librarius or something, librarium or something like that that's who the librarians belong to. They don't belong to a company. They belong to this separate group. So when you say you have a thousand Marines, you have a thousand Marines in the companies. Plus all the... Plus the support guys. So you've got the Forge, you've got the Reclusium, and you've got the library, the library, whatever the hell it's called. That's where your library librarians live. Come from, yeah. Uh, Tigarius is the master of that. Yeah. Orton Cassius, I think, is the master of the reclusium, or the, he's the master reclusiarch or something. Yeah. He's the head chaplain. And then I don't know who their forge leader is, but you have a, a master of the forge, and then you have all the tech marines. Yeah. Right? Um, so they're all kind of separate from the command structure, and then they have guys that they appoint to the company. So typically mm-hmm. every company will have its officer cadre, which would be your captain, a couple lieutenants, and then a, a religious officer, a librarian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, your first company is the veteran company. It's entirely made up of veteran squads. Uh, I think all the Terminators would also belong to this. Mm, to that, yeah. Um, I don't know if you know this, but the Terminators are like rare. Like they're they're oh, they're uh, not the firstborn. Firstborn. They're firstborn, but they're they're like the armor is very rare. Like it's very valuable because they can't make any more. They can't make it anymore. Uh, and yeah. that thing on their side, that crux, that big cross yeah. on the side is has a shard of the emperor's armor in it. Huh. That's what gives them their invulnerable save. That's why they oh. have a five up invuln is because the emperor's armor is like in that armor protecting oh, okay, them. So, you... so yeah, they like if they deploy terminators, it's like shit's hitting the fan. Like they need something going very bad. Yeah, they need something done, right? Um despite the fact that like people like me spam terminators. In, re- <laughs> in reality it'd be like no, there's maybe 5 to 10 of them hanging out. Yeah, there's not like two squads. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the two squads um, of five coming in. And yeah. oftentimes our exceptions to this, like I think Templar probably work completely different, but within codex compliant uh, chapters like yeah. the ultramarines your your terminators are all going to be first company yeah. because only the veterans are allowed to pilot those like only the best of yeah, the best yeah, you don't want a right. junior getting into yeah. that and screwing all and you'll, the... you'll see some marines have that crux it's called the crux terminatus on their shoulders yeah without being in terminator armor it just means they've earned the right to, to wear the armor right yeah. they don't necessarily have to be in it they just know how to wear it okay because um, it's special training and stuff the, the Terminator armor, weirdly, was originally designed... It's called Tactical Dreadnought Armor. And it was originally designed for close quarters. 
Okay. Because well, yeah, it, makes sense. Yeah, the idea is it was for shipboarding operations. That's why they have the. Uh, have you seen the chain fists? Where it's a power fist with a chain sword underneath. No, I've only seen the the thunder hammer and the the lightning sword. Yeah, that's all I play. Uh, they they have the chain swords on. Some of them have chain swords, and what that was for is they would like launch an attack on a spaceship and use the chain sword to cut or the chain fist to cut into the hull. And okay, get in. and get in. And there. then the idea was one Terminator would take up the entire hallway, and there was no getting past him. So it was, you'd have this dude with a chainsaw in one hand and a minigun in the other hand, and you're like, well, fuck. Because, like, <laughs> you can't get through him, and he's coming at you, and everything you shoot at him is bouncing off. Yeah, 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 That's yeah. what their original design was, but then they realized, like, yeah, they're slow, but, like, we can kind of use them for other stuff. Um, the uh, Blade Guard, I think, typically belong in the first company as well. Oh, Weird. Makes sense because they're veterans. Yeah. Blade Guard veterans. I'm sure that, like, you could put them, for instance, in your fourth company. Because I'm about to get into that in a minute here, but typically they are first company only. Because um, I know there's uh, like the front company, it's a full, it's a full combat, like company. So that's what the combat co codex compliant chapters. The second through the fifth companies are your co are your or sorry the first is the veteran company. Yeah. Second through fifth are battle companies. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, so you got the support, the battle line. The... Yeah. The idea there is they're all kind of equally constructed. Like they're all more or less the same basic outline. Yeah, yeah. I, you I need can't... That, that amount of uh, battle yeah. line, that amount of support. You have so many tactical yeah. squads, so many devastators. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Um, but I think they would all, spe depending on who their leader is, they kind of specialize in different things. Mm -hmm. Like if, if there's a specific threat, like say Tyranids, they might send this guy or like Kato. Yeah. For instance, if they're fighting off uh, the Tyranid war veteran, whatever, because well, there's an ultramarine. So that's one. the thing: the Tyrannic war vets are veterans. So typically, you'd be like, "Oh, they belong on the first. But the Tyrannic war vets are actually put into all the chat, all the companies, because they're like, "We need your experience. Like yeah. that's a valuable thing to know." Um, the sixth through ninth companies are uh, reserve companies. Reserve, yeah. I think the idea there, and I could I couldn't really verify this, but I think it's the less experienced go into there. So you become a you you become an aspirant. Once you're done being an aspirant, you, you get a neophyte. A once you're done being a neophyte and you leave the tent, you're now in a reserve company. Yeah. And then once you've got enough hours in, you become, I guess, decades, you become... Mm into a, a battle a battle line. A battle line um, company. Yeah. The point of the reserves is if they need to support something. So, like... Yeah. Basically, it's... it's Very seldom is an entire company deployed. Like, if an entire company is deployed, it's like really bad like any, any battle you read where it's like oh the ultramarines sent their whole first company or whole second company it's like the siege of racks type war nice, where it's big, like yeah. it's been ongoing for 20 years That's, and they're losing millions of people every week yeah it's not a skirmish it's like massive yeah. numbers of men and the the enemy is like a fucking demon prince like yeah, yeah, it's yeah, not yeah. just some dude they're like we gotta deal with this yeah, right yeah, yeah. um typically like in the space marine video game it's like here's five guys are gonna take a planet yeah like that's how tough marines are mm -hmm. um their point of the reserves is if a company is deployed somewhere and they lose something if you're like okay we got a devastator squad from the ninth company go help out right yeah. or if they lose a company in terms of like we literally don't know where they went yeah you can be like well at least we have a backup company so we don't have to create a new company and yeah we're all when the missing company comes back oh shit we're a hundred guys over mm, our limit exactly, now, right yeah. they have those backups and then the 10th company as i said is entirely scouts yeah so these guys excel at being snipers reconnaissance fast attack mm -hmm. forward support that sort of stuff um but they're all new 
Like yeah. They're the junior Space Marines. They're new to the... They're, they're, they have no power armor. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, they're the youngest and newest. I don't know how that works with Primaris Marines. And uh, obviously, since the induction of the Primaris Marines, they've shifted around how the companies are organized a little bit because they've put Primaris in there. Yeah. Um, but the Tyrannic War vets... Uh, and I assume other veterans are probably inducted a little bit, probably like at least five guys in every yeah, other yeah, company, yeah. so that they have some voice of some, reason to yeah. just be like, hey, I know you're the captain and you're running things, but, but I'm a hundred years older than you are, and I've seen this happen before. I know so what we're So here's how we dealt with it, or here's what happens. Yeah, 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 yeah. and typically it is, it is, that is typical of all chapters. That general construction for 90% of chapters is in that way you got yeah. your first company is your vets your second through fifth are battle, battle. and then the rest are reserves and then neophytes um yeah. even extremists like i think now the, the dark angels are a little different but most company most chapters work like that mm-hmm. um we're going to talk briefly about how they recruit because we haven't really got into that uh so i as i mentioned earlier they recruit from ultramar pretty much yeah. exclusively from, from ultramar from the their uh, own, yeah yeah yeah, uh, they usually recruit the young sons of noble families, but they will really accept anyone who's able. Anyone who's willing and able, they're like, yep, you come along Showing with us. Some, uh... Yeah. Do you know anything about the recruitment process, though? Like, what their selection's like? No, that's the only thing I've read about, like, uh, the Grey Knights, but they're uh, the Ultramarines. Uh, so, it's, it's actually kind of neat. I, mean, I think in the lore, not a lot of people know. Like, it's kind of secret. Yeah. But, uh... As is typical, uh, Space Marine conscription is incredibly brutal. Like, it's, yeah. it's like I said, one in ten people probably make it through the selection. So you get ten kids selected, nine of them are dead yeah. immediately. And then that one guy probably has a 10% chance of actually making it through Going the off. training, right? Yeah. And the, the surgery and all the doc indoctrination. Yep. But for the uh, Ultramarines, the way they do it is you have to pass one of two trials. They have two trials, and they don't test you on both. They just, they'll pick one or the other to okay, test yeah, you. Okay, yeah, it's one or the other. You're doing A or you're doing B? Yeah. The most common trial is called the exposure trial. It's pretty straightforward. They just drop you off somewhere horrible and leave you. Like, they just put you, like, fucking, and it's not, it, sometimes it's a death world, but it might not always be a death world. Like, you might be from a hive city on a hive planet. Yeah. And they'll be like, okay, outside the gate. Because, like, like, on a hive planet outside of the hive city, which is, like, a hive city is, like, a massive city that's, like, the size of a country, towering hundreds of kilometers into the air. The land outside that hive city is a radioactive... Yeah, it's not habitable. Quagmire. It's horrible, right? They might just take you and drop you off there. And be like, good luck! And, like, typically, you are alone. You're absolutely on your own you might have some survival equipment like maybe they'll give you a knife but like typically (laughs) you're on your own you probably have nothing you're maybe lucky if you have clothes we're coming in a couple of years and they uh i don't know how long they last yet but i think they usually give you an objective like it'll be like go find a relic or go from this point to that point but whatever your objective is you have to travel hundreds of kilometers on foot by yourself and in a hostile environment in a hostile environment and you are not expected to succeed. Okay. Like, they, they don't... That's really cool about these trials, is they don't be like, okay, we're going to drop you all off, and the guy who, who manages to do the weird task we've given you wins. It's they drop you off, and they just watch. And 99% of the time, the recruits succumb to what's <laughs> happening, and most of them die. But the ones that don't die, 
will be recovered by the chapter. And they bring him back. The apothecary will fucking heal them as best he can. And if yeah. they live through that, then they grade them. And hmm. they, uh, they're kind of judged on not did you complete the objective, but how, how long did you... did you last? What skills did you use? What yeah, kind of attributes did you demonstrate? Yeah. yeah. It's um, like, oh, I walked from A to B and that's it. It's yeah. like, how did you manage to get there? Like, if you didn't make it to B, but like you show determination then they're like you know what you, you didn't die like you're ass naked in a wolf infested frozen hellhole and they're like you're still alive good for you you yeah. killed a giant wolf by yourself yeah you didn't make it to the objective but you're fucking determined yeah we're bringing you in right um mm-hmm. the second trial the least common one is called the challenge trial where they're made to compete in a challenge against a full-fledged astartes it can be really anything. Like it could be a strength, a test of strength, will, wits, uh, speed, stamina. It could be anything from you got to lift a big, heavy, impossible to move rock, or you could just take turns doing shots of poison and see who lasts. Right. <laughs> wow. Um, more often than not, though, it's a duel between yeah. a fucking ten-year-old and a full-fledged space marine. Yeah. Uh, the ten-year-old is usually given a weapon. The Space Marine is usually no armor, no weapon, and more often than not, still kills this, the kid without trying. Like, yeah. one punch to the head, the kid's probably mush, right? Yeah, so, probably. Um, again, it's... it's They're not expected to win. <laughs> like, it's, it's not this as... This one, well. they're probably yeah. no, yeah. I've I read that, like, in certain... In, in rare situations, they do win. Like, it's very rare, but they're like, sometimes they win. And I'm like, I just, I can't believe that. I can't believe that some fucking 10-year-old from what is likely an aristocratic family on a pretty decent world wins against a space marine. And if he did win, I can't imagine that the other space marines don't just make fun of that space marine to a point of him just being like, fuck you guys, I'm out. And he fucks off to the Death Watch or something. But (laughs) they, uh, more often than not, they end up killing him by accident. But uh, again, the test is not about did you win, it's about how did you fare, how long did you last, what skills did you show. So what's really unique is that the trials grade them not on success, but on the degree of their failure, right? How did you, yeah. yeah. If you failed immediately, but you did it honorably, then you might actually get in. Like if you, if you, because obviously if you failed and there's a 90% chance of death, and you die like well okay but yeah. if you're in that 10 percent where you failed and they're like you're still alive and you're still so you did like, something you're refusing to pass out that's something right you did something yeah. but if you won or at least did far better than the guy who didn't but you were using really dishonorable tactics and yeah. strategies then they're gonna be like mm, no. i don't think we want you right yeah, yeah, yeah. um for any family that has a kid brought into the space marines i think even if a kid is brought into the trials um, but especially if they're brought into the actual chapter, yeah. that's like an honor the family holds for generations. Like they'll be like my great 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 grandfather became a space marine. So yeah, yeah. or it would, I guess it wouldn't even be their grandfather. It'd be like their great 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 grandfather's younger brother became a space marine, and they're like this family is held in in, in a higher, higher regard, regard yeah. by the locals because they're like you're one of the the angels, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, so last Your bloodline is into the space marina. Yeah, so they yeah. especially for Ultramar, like they're super into that. So the last thing we're gonna go on about is uh notable battles and we're we're pretty deep into our time here, but I'll try to speed through this. Uh, right. on the whole, you can assume that any battle worth 
talking about in 40k, the Ultramarines were there. Like, basically, I, I, I was hoping that when I was looking this up, I was hoping it was going to be, like, a quick, like, here's a blurb. No, it was... It, it was bottle. miles of pages of... of and they're Bottles. all paragraphs and all warrant their own page. So they were there for everything. Um, <laughs> these are just some notable ones. Uh, the most... The, the, the earliest battle of significance was the pacification of Luna. Luna being Earth's moon. Yeah. Uh, this one's notable because it was the first battle that the Warborn took place in after the end of the Unification War. So after they conquered Terra... Yeah. The Ultramarines or the Warborn at the time were one of the first legions to leave Earth. The rest of the the rest of the Space Marines were still on Earth, cleaning shit up and dealing and with then the Thunder Warriors. The Ultramarines or the Warborn left. Left. They yeah. were sent off to begin the Crusade, huh. and the first place they went is Luna. At the time, uh, Luna was uh, occupied by something called Gene Cults, which oh. I assume are like gross people with labs that grow things yeah i I haven't looked too much into the gene cults but basically they're geneticists they're spooky geneticists um no and they resisted the imperial truth that's a big thing is the emperor was creating the imperial truth where he's like science is the way religion's bad and i'm your leader and don't fight me right for whatever reason the gene cults were like no we don't want to do that we're our own guys (laughs) anyone else the Emperor would have been like, kick, blow the planet up wholesale, keep going. Like, there's yeah. no sense in dealing with yeah, these fuckers. We're not the... But they had technology he wanted. Yeah. They're like, we need your knowledge, we need your ability, we can't blow you up. So he's like, okay, three legions, go. So he sent the 13th, the 12th, and the 16th legions. That is the Space Marine, or the Ultramarines, the Imperial Fists, and the Legion. I don't know why I found this interesting, because like, they're all buddies, but... The, the last legion that went was the Luna Wolves, which would later become the Sons of Horus, which would later become <laughs> the Black Legion. Yeah. So the three of them went to the moon, Luna, and uh, attacked the Gene Cults. The whole thing took six hours. <laughs> they conquered the entirety of the moon six in six hours. hours. Okay. Um, I think they were not ready. <laughs> this one's one of my favorites. Uh, so in the year 964 M30, so this is 10,000 or 11,000 years prior to the current events of 40K, uh, the raising of Monarchia happened. Do you know what Monarchia is? Have I told nope. you anything? This nope. is one of my favorite moments in the lore. It really, really requires its own episode. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Monarchia was a city on a planet called Kerr. It was built by a guy named Lorgar. You know who Lorgar is? Lorgar. I think I've seen the name, but it doesn't... Lorgar is one of my favorite characters just because of how tragic he is. Lorgar was the leader of the Word Bearers. The Word Bearers Space Marine Legion. Okay. The Word Bearers, uh, again, this really warrants its own episode, but the Word Bearers were the, uh, they were a Space Marine Legion, um, obviously formed by the Emperor. They are given to Lorgar. Lorgar grew up on a planet called Colchis that was super religious. Yeah. And in his youth, he quickly ascended and became like the head prophet of the cult on Colchis. And uh-huh. he started having visions where he's like, they're, they're, they worshipped diff- like multiple gods, like four gods. And in his mind, he's like, I keep having dreams that there's only one god. And we have to worship that, that god. That, that and then eventually that. a dude in golden armor with giant ships and an army of angels showed up. And was like, <laughs> hey, Lorgar, I'm your dad. And he's <laughs> like, by god. <laughs> the one god is true, that. right? <laughs> and so... He took his legion, the Emperor gave Lorgar a legion of space marines, Lorgar named him the Word Bearers, and he's like, we're gonna bear the word of the Emperor, and he just ran around fucking... Yeah, just like, uh... 
uh, like the the religious uh, they were doing the like uh, in, in our in our time or the medieval time like the oh uh, the crusades the, not the crusades but one the, the not the pilgrimage one when they send priests talk about the gods and uh, to like oh oh missionaries missionaries yes so that's more or less what Lorgar was doing was he was taking his legion he was going to a planet where they're like have you heard about the god emperors <laughs> well basically like they're going to planets where these people are worshipping chaos gods no, or no, aliens no, no. or fucking rocks with paint on them or something and he shows wrong. up wipes out any resistance and then he's like have you heard about our lord and savior the god emperor and this is <laughs> back before the god emperor was the god emperor yeah, he was yeah. just the emperor yeah. Um, and he was super against religion. Like, he was like, religion bad, science and logic good. But he and, became God Emperor. <laughs> yeah, and Lorgar growing up in, like, basically, uh, fucking, like, a, a religious cult in space, yeah. uh, was very, very uh, resistant to this. And he just kept being like, you're a god, I'm gonna tell everybody. And the emperor was like, please don't. Like, really, just don't do that. You're fucking things up for me. <laughs> it's not and what I want. He kept doing it. And worse yet, the emperor was like, you guys are generals and fighters. You are meant to go to a planet, kill everything, go to the next planet. Oh, yeah, you, you were talking I about mentioned that. This. Yeah, yeah, this is one of my yeah, favorite yeah. parts of 40k. And he... He was just building... He stuck behind and built things. He built yeah. cities. Palatial cities. Yeah. With monuments to the god emperor and churches and organized religion. And yeah. eventually the emperor was like... Why are you so slow? He's like, God damn it. He's like, I've told you don't do this. And he's like, but dad, I love you. And he's like, I just... What the fuck, guy? And so... <laughs> Stop. His favorite city, his, his his grand project was this place called Monarchia. It was called the Perfect City. And it was this massive palace-like city that was pristine. And it had all these churches and cathedrals yeah. and temples built to the God Emperor. And it was like Lorgar's, like, baby. It was like his passion yeah. project, building the city. And the Emperor was like, okay. Not again. He's like, you're done <laughs> fucked up. He's like, you should have listened to me. And so he shows up on Monarchia, or on Kerr overlooking Monarchia <laughs> with Gilliman and the entirety of the Ultramarines. And he basically forced Lorgar and the Word Bearers to kneel using his psychic powers. And he's like, watch this. And fucking Gilliman and the good guys raised the city to the ground, killed everybody in it, burned the whole fucking thing down. And the Emperor's like, I fucking told you. He's like, I told you not to. Look what your hubris has done. And uh, basically, the reason the raising of Monarchia is, is more important to the word bearers than it is to the Ultramarines, because the Ultramarines were just the dudes who did it. Yeah. Uh, but the Ultramarines and the word bearers are rivals. They really yeah. don't get along, and part of it is because of this. Um, this is before the Horus Heresy started, yeah. but this event is kind of arguably the thing that made the Horus Heresy happen, because it was the raising of Monarchia that corrupted Lorgar's mind. Or not corrupted Lorgar's mind, but made him finally be like, the Emperor does not, not want a, me. Yeah. And he found he, other gods. He, that's, he fell into chaos, and then... That's what... And then him, he, he, he led Horus, and, and that's yeah. what led him down there. There's a lot... That whole thing, like, I love the story of the raising of Monarchia, and it really warrants its own episode yeah. and discussion, so I'll leave it at that. Um, hmm. The Ulanor Crusade. Uh, this happened in 999.m30 to basically M31. Like, basically it was one year. Yeah. Um, which is something shocking. These wars, which are, like, planetary scale, are they, always one year. Like, they're always, like, the Horus Heresy, trillions of people died seven years. 
Yeah. Uh, but, um, Ulidor Crusade was a planet of Ulinar was occupied by the largest forks, for, sorry, largest force of orcs ever seen by anyone ever. Oh, God. Led by a warlord named Erlak Uruk. Um, I don't know all who was involved, but the Ultramarines were present alongside a force of 100,000 Marines from different legions huh. and 8 million Imperial Army soldiers. Oh, God. So this is before the Guardsmen yeah, were a yeah, thing. Yeah. Uh, it was considered the high point of the Great Crusade, the Ulanor campaign. They fucking killed the orcs. Um, the only really big... I mean, the Ulanor Crusade is more important uh, to the story, I think, especially because Ulanor is no longer... Ulanor exists, but also doesn't exist now. It's kind of weird. It's now a different planet, and nobody knows that. And when I say okay. different planet, it's not just they renamed it. The planet is in a different place than it used to be. Oh, okay. And not just, like, on a different orbital planet. Like, it is in a completely you different just star system. warp somewhere else. They fucking, the Admech somehow moved it. Like, okay. the whole planet. And now it's uh, now it's a planet called Armageddon, um, which is a really important planet. Huh. Um, okay. The... Big thing with Ulanor that's kind of funny is, is, like, I think it was this planet. It's kind of a, look at us, we're the best, we won. Um, oh, okay. they, they built a parade square on Ulanor to have, like, a big victory ceremony with all the Marines. Yeah. Um, they, they leveled a fucking continent to build <laughs> this parade square. So they, okay. they leveled an entire continent and turned it, the whole thing into, into a parade, a parade square. square and lined it with the heads of orcs. And then they marched the legions through this like wow yeah go big or go home is oh, basically yeah. <laughs> um battle of kelth this one's important uh kelth was a planet inside ultramar it was an agra world uh kind of on the edge of the eastern fringe the important thing about kelth is the ultramarines at the time were using it as a staging point in preparation for a campaign through the oh, eastern yeah. fringe to fight orcs because yeah. there were kind of pockets of orcs scattered through yeah, the eastern yeah. fringe and they were like we want them out of ultramar uh, this happened in 007.M31, so just at the beginning of the Horus Heresy. Like, hasn't kicked off just yet. Um, the Word Bearers, oh, yeah, still angry about what happened, <laughs> uh, launched an attack on this planet. Huh. The Ultramarines didn't know that they were chaos. They didn't know, oh, right. they didn't know that there was a heresy about to kick yeah. off. And all of a sudden they're being attacked by their friends on this fucking planet. Well, friends. The, well, buddies, right? Yeah. They're, they're allies. The idea here was that the word bearers were going to tie down all of the Ultramarines on Kelth so that they couldn't reinforce the other loyalists elsewhere in the Imperium. Okay. Um, basically, very quickly, uh, the, the there's this greasy dickhead named Erebus who's really like we really need to talk about Erebus because he's a really important character but won't get into him here but Erebus is into dark magic and chaos and all that shit uh he was using various rituals to summon local warp storms and he used that to fuck up the local star which in turn blasted away the atmosphere on Kelth and rendered the once verdant world into an inhospitable oh, wasteland yeah. so the population had to move underground into like these vast labyrinthian arcologies underground uh, -huh. uh the war followed and moved underground and it turned into a 10 year long campaign of them fighting in fucking underground cities wow um okay at the end of the Battle of Kelth, in the year 007-M31, all the way to 009-M31, uh, Lorgar, the leader of the uh, yep. Word Bears, met with the wor the leader of the World Eaters, Angron, and they launched a crusade through the 500 worlds. Hey, Gron. Hey, Gron. 
This is really important. This is called the Shadow Crusade. Lots of stuff happened, but the really big important thing here is this crusade, the Shadow Crusade, led by Lord Arn Angron, was the, the main goal was to take the warp storm that they caused and spread it all the way through. Yeah. And they succeeded. And they cut Ultramar off from the rest of the Imperium to ah. a point where the Astronomicon went out. They couldn't see it anymore. Oh, which wow. means long-term, long-distance travel was impossible. Oh, yeah, yeah. They had no contact. Gilliman's like, what the fuck? He's, he's like, I don't know if the Emperor's alive. I don't know if yeah, he's yeah. dead. I don't know what's happening on Terra. And he's, he's like, on his own, yeah. we're on our own. Which is why the Imperium Secundus was built. He had no other option. He's like, we are on our own. So we we're going to make our own... For all we know, we're the only ones still here. So they had to build their own little empire within the 500 worlds. Um, I think the Dark Angels were hanging out in there, as were the Iron Warriors, other Space Marine chapters, yeah. or legions, I should say. And they helped him a little bit, because Conrad Kurz was also present. And he basically just started a terror campaign, harassing Gilliman's forces through ah. Ultramar. And with the help of the Dark Angels and the Iron Warriors, he got them to fuck off. But... Uh, that's where the, the the reason Kelth and the Shadow Crusade are important is because that's where the Imperium Secundus came from. That's how uh, he created his own. Uh... Yeah. Uh, the other really big ones for the Ultramarines are the Tyrannic Wars, which were against the Nids. Yeah, yeah. Tyranids. Uh, there's three separate Tyrannic Wars, but the really important one was the Battle of McCrag, which is the first Tyrannic War. This happened in 745 yeah. M41. Uh, do you know much about this one? Not much. Uh, no. I don't. I just know it was. Uh, uh, yeah. it I don't know much about it. Fucked them. It fucked them. The big yeah. thing with this is the Tyranids were basically unknown at this point. Like nobody knew what they were. Yeah, they, they just hadn't show up in. and. Uh... The Tyranids came in off the well. One Tyranid fleet, Hive Fleet Behemoth, came in off the eastern fringe of space into yeah. the Milky Way, and started just eating ultramarine worlds yeah. until they got to McCrag and they were losing worlds left and right and Calgar's like we are making a last stand at McCrag we will turn them the fuck around they are not getting into the actual Imperium they're not going to get yeah. to Terra um, the Nids though how much do you know about Tyranids I don't know no I so, just know the bottles and stuff I don't know how their lore is so. they're bugs yeah so the Tyranids are big lizard like bug hive, dinosaur uh, things they have mind that's and... the important bit though they have a hive mind they don't have individual consciousness yeah, they like, have a hive mind that control and they kind of reincarnate in the sense where like you could kill a tyranid but it's it's consciousness doesn't die because they're all right? connected they're all connected right so if you kill something because it made a mistake and that mistake allowed you to kill it the next one that comes at you knows not to make that mistake yeah right and to a point where, like, there's there are Tyranid characters, like, character models. Yeah. But the idea is that it's not the same Tyranid every time. It's the same consciousness every that's time coming. that's coming back. Yeah. And it's getting stronger and smarter. Oh, last time you killed me, I'm back when I know what you did. So. so because of this, they also can adapt to their environment really well. Yeah. Uh, like, they kind of do a local evolution type thing. So because of this, they were very very underestimated like they yeah. were just like ooh space bugs but no it was like these things are fucking killing machines like they are meant to right? yeah 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 um, they adapt to what they're fighting and... so the the marines were very quickly overwhelmed uh again this is kind of enough for its own episode but basically the nids uh get to McCrag and what was luring them to McCrag was unknown to everybody there was a large number of gene stealers living in the underhive and gene stealers are humans that have, through some way or another, been infected with a tyranid, like, xenomorph thing. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. And they form their own little cult. And they aren't really tyranids, they're just 
people that live in like the they're the dregs of society but when enough of them get together it creates like a psychic beacon yeah. for high fleets that's why they're coming to McCraig is they're like we want to eat that we know there's chain no, no, stealers no. there for us to eat so they get to as 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 these bugs are falling from the fucking sky and the ultramarines are like hey shoot the sky bugs now there's motherfuckers coming up out of the sewer vents and they're like what the hell where'd these guys come nah. from so they're very quickly overwhelmed the ground battle is losing and in space the high fleet is just decimating everything yeah uh the imperial navy shows up they help but really the only thing that won the battle was the imperial navy had to make a massive sacrifice which was they had an uh, is it an emperor class battleship i think they're called i have to double check that uh yeah, they had an Emperor-class battleship, which is the largest type of Imperial Star Cruiser there is. Like, there are very few of these the, things. They are very difficult to build, and they were worth a lot strategically. Yeah. And they're like, the only way to kill the fucking High Fleet is by sacrificing the ship. Did you play Halo Reach? Nope. I've, okay. I've played no Halo. There's a bit in Halo Reach where they, the Covenant are attacking Reach, yeah. and they have to... Basically, they're like, our only hope of destroying the Covenant super carrier yeah. is they take a uh the the humans the way they do faster than light travel is they have uh, slip space which is they like rip a hole in reality yeah. and move into it and then pop out somewhere else and they have slip space drives yeah. and they're like we take the slip space drive put it on a covenant like corvette reroute that corvette for a fueling run at the mothership and we activate the slip space drive but only like half activate it and it'll rip the fucking ship in half okay that's what they did here they took the Emperor class battleship with presumably some people still on it to pilot the fucking thing and then drove it into the Tyranid Hive Fleet, like the mothership, yeah. crashed into it, activated the warp drive, and the whole thing just fucking boom, gone. Exploded. Well, it didn't explode. What happened was the, well, just... the they went into the warp. So somewhere in the warp, there's... there's just a dickload of Tyranids just having a good time. <laughs> well, more, more importantly, this, the Tyranids probably don't give a shit. There's probably a bunch of corn berserkers in the warp having a good time. Because now yeah. all of a sudden there's angry space bugs. And they're like, yeah, we can kill them. Like, this is awesome. Just bloodshed all the time for us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the uh, That didn't do enough, though. The battle on the ground was still being lost. And so Gilliman went down. And I, I, there were specific battle plans he had. Like, he divided it into poles. And I think basically the forces were concentrated at fortresses yeah. at the north and south. Uh, the really big takeaways from this is uh, Calgar went toe to toe with Old One Eye, which is a, a Tyranid that they kind of got to know because he's a yeah. big One Eyed fucking Tyranid that was really really intelligent. Um, I'm pretty sure that's how Calgar lost his arms because he has no fucking arms, and I think that's what did it. Is this did yeah. just ate them? Um, the big takeaway here, though, is that uh, Calgar went down personally leading the first company, and he had the third and the seventh company. The first company was gone. They won the battle, but the entirety of the first company was gone. They were all killed, and most of the third and seventh were gone. And it took them, like, years, like a very long time to recover what they had lost and rebuild McCrag. This is why they have Tyrannic War veterans. There's been two other Tyrannic Wars, but the, the this one Space was... Marines really do not like Tyranids or the Ultramarines because of this. They know how dangerous they are. Yeah. Um, I didn't write about it in here, but it's worth mentioning too. The Gulf War, the Gulf of Democles Crusade. The Gulf of Democles is on the edge of the Eastern Fringe. Yeah, It's basically you got Tau 
the planet Tau and yeah. the Tau sphere of influence where their little empire is, is growing, growing, growing and pushing into the Democles Gulf. The Ultramarines regularly combat them in there. The Democles yeah. Gulf Crusade was the Ultramarines largely against the Tau with other Imperial forces, and what cut it short was High Fleet Behemoth showing up and just yeah. fucking things up. Because like, oh, then the Tau were like, oh, fuck, and the Marines were like, also, oh, fuck, and they both were like, retreat back to our respective... <laughs> we're gonna deal with our own yeah. stuff first. Um, we're gonna resume that. We're not done. It was uh, pretty yeah. bad. Uh... Yeah. A couple others worth mentioning. Blackreach. I needed to mention it because of my first set. Uh, happened yeah. in 855 M41. This is Wag Zanzag of the Orcs. Attacked a hive world of Blackreach. Cato uh, Sicarius was yeah. running things with the second company. Um, he shows up to kick ass, but the Orcs had like taken the whole planet. Basically, the UM deployed, or the Ultramarines deployed to a city called Gospera, the big mm-hmm. hive city, um, that the Orcs had been besieging. And they fortified the city, and then they used orbital strikes, which yeah. I know is like your favorite stratagem. Oh, yeah. They, they yeah. used oh. orbital strikes, which are apparently Let's more see. effective here than they are in-game, oh. <laughs> uh, to drive the orcs back. They orbital strike, and then just drop pod assault, and drove the orcs back. That's what I must do now. Yeah, I'm but you can only do it once per game, and it costs you three goddamn CP <laughs> for super ineffectiveness. Um, <laughs> the... Uh, Sicarius then goes on a wild goose chase, chasing after fucking Zanzag. And basically, there's a river called the uh, Black Wallow River running from Gospera. And it's got, like, orc forts yeah. running down it. And he's just going from, like, Zanzag goes to the fort. Sicarius shows up, burns a fort down, and Zanzag's fucked off to the next fort. So he's chasing him all the way down this river, being like, Get back here, you motherfucker! <laughs> Stop running! Um, eventually, though, the orcs renewed an attack on a city called Sulfura, and Sicarius is like, Well, that's more important than this. So he left to go fight Sulfura, no. and he grabs uh, Sergeant Tellian, the scout guy. Yeah, yeah. And he's like, Hey, go deal with that fucking Zanzag for me. <laughs> and so Tellian and the 10th Company are, are tracking Zanzag. And this part I find hilarious. They realized that the orcs had built submarines and were smuggling weapons up and down the river from a cave network somewhere. Oh, wow. And so then Tellian goes to Sicarius and he's like, yeah, your orcs are holed up in this fucking cave. And so (laughs) Sicarius wanting Zanzag dealt with uses a massive attack on this cave with everything from Thunderhawk gunships to missile strikes to Terminator <laughs> assaults. So basically, he just sends everything he can into this cave, slaughters the orcs because they were not expecting it, and cuts Zanzag's fucking head off. <laughs> um, uh, last couple worth mentioning, you got the Six Hour War. Lasted six hours. Uh, Captain of the First Company led a strike force of Ultramarines into an assault on a Tau world called Kale. Uh, this was obviously happening during 9th edition because the, ca- the the Tau just died. <laughs> like, they were not good. So this is obviously like 9th edition Tau, not 8th edition Tau. <laughs> um, the Tau basically got their shit pushed in and just within 6 hours they were tricked into thinking they were like way outnumbered and they were like, we're fucking off. Because okay. I think it was, does it have a number? No, it doesn't have a number, but it was like a massive, massive Tau garrison of like crisis suits and stuff and they're just flew. and a company of marines a hundred marines not even i think it was like a strike force so it was probably like less than 50 marines they, took they the whole just, world in six hours um they just made uh they just yeah the tower thing they were bigger than that and they were just like oh yeah we're leaving uh last two worth talking about uh the invasion of ultramar and the ultramar campaign this is most recent this is just before the indomitus crusade so yeah. Uh, Eye of Terror opens up. 
the Black Le- the Black yeah. Legion launches launches the uh, Black Crusade out the Thirteenth Black Crusade. They conquer Cadia. Cadia falls. Uh, the Imperium's now open game. I think the invasion of Ultramar was largely led by um, Martarion for some reason. Like he had something against Gilliman, and he actually created a disease. Because Mortarion is the Primarch of the Death Guard. They yeah. worship Nurgle, who's the god of disease, decay, and rot. Yeah, yeah. So Mortarion created a new disease that he spread through Ultramar, where it was basically like, the only cure was Gilliman being near you. Hmm. So Gilliman's like, all his people are dying. And he's like, I know how to fix them. I have to stay there. He's like, but I can't. I have to go to Terra and fucking run things. Yeah. So being a good strategist... He's like, I gotta He's like, I don't want to, but I gotta let my people die. He's like, that's the only way we win. Um, but basically, like, Ultramar just got fucked by these plague guys. Uh, the important thing that happened during the Ultramar campaign, though, and the invasion is again requires more discussion elsewhere. But this is when the Eldar and Call teamed up and okay. went and rest and went and revived Gilliman. Um, specifically, it was a faction of Eldar called the Inari, and I think they were led by a girl named Evraine. I think it's Evraine. Evraine could also be the god, I think, but it's it's the Inari, and they worship the Incarn, or Evraine is the Incarn or something. Basically, it's a god of death. They worship okay. the god of death, and that's the thing doing the reviving. Um, lastly, uh, this is probably the most... This really warrants its own episode too, but the second and third wars for Armageddon. I assume they were also there at the first war for Armageddon, which was, uh, I don't know what one that was. That was one of the Black Crusades, but basically uh, Ezekiel Abaddon, the leader of the Black Legion, yeah. he was the Horus' first captain. He launched at some point a crusade into terror, into real space and attacked uh, Armageddon. The important wars, though, for Armageddon were second and third, which is guy this orc war boss named Gazgul Magarok Thraka. <laughs> yeah. Who is the greatest orc war boss ever seen. He is the prophet of both Gork and Mork, who are the, the gods of orc culture, yeah, yeah. and are often fighting each other. And that's what causes a lot of orcs to fight. Like, orcs inevitably fall to infighting because. They each fall well, one god. No, it's half of them believe that Gork is cunningly brutal and Mork is brutally cunning. That means Gork will hit you when you're looking, and Mork will hit you when you're not looking. Yeah, yeah. The other half believe the opposite of that. That the other one is cunningly brutal, and the yeah, other yeah. one is brutal. So they, they kill each other over this. Gork, or sorry, Gazgul, was a boat, was a boat. S- speaks the words of both gods. Ah. And what Gazgul is, uh, basically he was just a little orc of no no importance and he got his head shot in like somebody put a bolter through his head and his fucking brains blew out and this orc named mad doc grotsnick grabbed him and was like ah funny dead orc let's see what i can do and just started slapping metal to him <laughs> and he got a metal plate put in his head and that started picking up some sort of, of uh... weird interference where now he's hearing voices and he's considered it's gork and mork and he's now the biggest war boss ever uh, he led this massive assault into Armageddon to take Armageddon. And I can't remember why he wanted it. Like I said, this really is its own story. Yeah. Um, and the response was huge because Armageddon is a manufacturing world. It's yeah. a really important manufacturing world. And they're like, we can't let it fall. Yeah, yeah. we need. Uh... And so fucking the Dark Angels responded. The Templar responded. I think the Fists were there. The Ultramarines were there. Huge number of Imperial Guardmen were there because it's also a guard world. It's yeah. the Steel Legion lived there um, to fight him off. 
50 years later, Gazgul came back for the third <laughs> war for Armageddon. Um, the real heroes, though, the Ultramarines were really just there, but when we get into talking about yeah, the war, the, the, war the real heroes are the Black Templar. There you go. The Steel Legion of the Imperial yeah, Guard. The, the Imperial and Guard. most importantly, Old Man Yarrick, Old One-Eye. Um, he is uh, an Imperial Guard commissar. He's the only human that orcs respect because I think he's downright orky. He <laughs> has a uh, fucking, his right arm is a power claw, an orc power claw that he cut off of another orc. Okay. Um, but he's the one that led the defense. He's the one that drove them back. But oh. uh, yeah, you just can't talk like, you're talking about important battles. The second and third war for Armageddon are by and far some of the most important campaigns in 40K. So you have to talk about them. Yeah. Uh, but that's kind of a nutshell yeah. Of of the Ultramarines. Of the Ultramarines and their battles. Um yeah. well Yeah, we went as an overview and uh, as an overview, went way pa- about thirty minutes past where I wanted to, but that's fine for a first episode. Um Yeah. Did you yeah. learn anything? Did you anything new to take away from that? Well well, pretty much everything. <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah. yeah so. Pretty much everything because I, I knew a few of the few of the basic stuff, but like just like the wars and uh, how uh just how things were and all the like the recruitment and yeah. uh, uh, just how they, they, they deal and the different characters and they, where they come from other structures so pretty much everything was kind of new but I knew a few of the like I said beginning but just from reading online and just giving a, a review yeah when you're trying to pick a, a starter army but uh, just like in depth just like how with the aristocracy uh, cut off the yeah, Ultramars the, the horse heresy. I think maybe that'd be a good second episode, but the horse heresy really like. It's I think uh, another turning point. But, uh, it's like a hundred fucking books. Like it's yeah, it's, it's so it's not a hundred, but it's it's a lot of books. Yeah, I'm not gonna read any of them, but it <laughs> it, it it's it really is such a massive conflict. It and it, it yeah because it created the before and the yeah, after. Yeah, it, it warrants um. I chose Ultramarines as a starter episode, partly because you you, you yeah, play I'm playing them, but that, yeah. more importantly, it's because everyone who who's walked by any store that sells games or a shop will see a picture of an Ultramarine, right? Yeah, they well, even on are, the uh, when you buy a box of models, what they put on the Ultramarines, bo- Ultramarines. I, th- yeah. I can. Well, it says Space Marines. That's why people are confused. Yeah. You you want to buy like uh, about a box of L Blasters? Oh, it's the blue L Blasters. It's fa- it says Space Marines. It yeah. Doesn't say Ultramarines. I th- I think. As you buy the box of uh, like the like combat patrol, this is the space marine picture on them, and you can put play them as any uh, chapters. Or as you buy the black templar set, well, it's black templars. Yeah, it exactly. Says black yeah. templars, where as generic marines are always generic marines, and you gen- paint them as space marine or ultras, but yeah, yeah they're generic. There's, just, there's I, no like, hey, this is an ultramarine patrol box. It's it's the same kind of. I, I, yeah. I chose these guys because I thought it would be a good entry point for people unfamiliar with 40K. And they can at least put a face now to, who are those blue guys I yeah, see? Yeah, why is all this picture on the box? Um, but after doing this episode, I realized there are a lot of goddamn things that, like, I just rattled off. Like, oh, and during the Horus Heresy, this happened because... Yeah, it's yeah. like, what the hell's the Horus Heresy, though, right? Exactly. Um, yeah. But, yeah. I, I really wanted to avoid starting the podcast with we're going to do the Horus Heresy first, or we're going to do yeah. the, who's the God Emperor stuff, because that's the logical starting point. Yeah. Maybe gone. episode two or three, we'll go Horus Heresy. Um, I, I really want to get into the warp too, because 
I'm surprised it didn't come up here, but like that is an important fucking topic, and it's yeah, it usually the most logical starting point for these conversations. But overall, uh, I don't say I don't think I learned anything doing any research on this. Um, Pretty I mean, much, wow, you've been in it for uh, for several years, sir. Well, several years, but I never so, like the the ultramarines. All of that you're pretty well. No, this, aware of, this is all new information to me. But the ultramarines are very cut and pay like cut and dry. Like they're very. Every story the Ultramarines have reads the same. Every character yes. reads the same. I like that they made Uriel kind of like he's going in a different way and Titus is doing his own thing. Yeah, That's yeah. cool because it's things of the new. They're not, not cookie cutter. Not the new generation. But it's like the, it's like they are maybe trying to cut off with their like past. Uh, yeah, they're trying to get away from the Wardian era of Ultramarines, which is it's good. Like, hey, um, we have these new two two new characters that we can go a bit sidetracks and being more what more custom yeah. uh, personal and and there's still unique. like a lot of people play them and for good reason they are a very adaptable army on the tabletop um i, I think that's kind of cool is back in the old days of 40k this this codex we have between us is uh i want to say this is fucking sixth edition um it says space marines and it's very true to its word in the sense that like it's it's ultramarines on the cover but the uh it has characters for Imperial Fists and yeah, Salamanders yeah. and all, all the non, like, super unique chapters. Yeah. Um, and back in those days, if you wanted to play Ultramarines versus Salamanders, the difference was, who's your chapter master? That's it. That's it, there, yeah. There's really no other difference. I like how the game has turned into, you can really define a Space Marine chapter now. With the strategy and I think the, the Ultramarines are well defined. I think they have a very good presence on the table in terms of their rules. Maybe not from a competitive standpoint as much, although we did see that there were some top tier lists. Yeah, there's uh, I think one that won a tournament. Yeah, yeah, but they, I, I like, I, I like how they work mechanically on the yeah. table, even if it's not necessarily the most competitive thing. It's cool to see that adaptability yeah. in comparison to my Templar's rigidity for yeah. I need to be in combat, where you have. I can fall back, I can shoot, I can get in combat, mm. I can mix and match. Yeah, like yeah. Blade Guard, I think, will do you well. Um, the one thing I did learn, you actually taught me, was what you mentioned about Korax. And God, yeah. I like that. That is really cool. I didn't that's, realize that's that. That's what, when I was reading about Revengard, it's like, yeah, they, they simulate, I don't know for whatever reason, but they simulated three battles. And if one, the first one, I think it was because of surprise, whatever, because Revengard's like cover yeah. ops and like sneaky sneaky and they're like they wasn't expected that so i, I lost really, i really and then like it's that. like oh now i know that i'm, I'm not losing and then he, and then never won again that's a cool that's a cool little story i like that a lot yeah anyway i think that's a good place to wrap it uh so that's that's our first official uh white shield podcast episode ultramarines um yep. in i was gonna say in a nutshell but it wasn't as much of a nutshell as i would like that's <laughs> like a coconut husk but we got um, sidetracked well, as you do, and I mean the yeah. Ultramarines. There's a lot to talk about there. I think two hours is pretty good for any any Space Marine chapter because there's so much shit for all of them. Uh, um, but yeah, uh, hopefully you guys enjoyed that. Um, please reach out, tell us what you thought. If you have any notes or comments you'd like to add, or I'm sure I'm gonna get a couple people getting mad about me saying something incorrectly or giving the wrong dates or numbers about stuff so let me know if i did that and uh yeah stay tuned for the next episode